Are romance novels your jam? Or are you curious what all the hype is all about? Come join in on the Steeped in Romance podcast, a podcast which offers book recommendations, latest romance news and scandals, and weekly in-depth reviews of both personal favorites and the latest releases for your romancing pleasure. Prepare to be delighted, enhanced, and encouraged in delving into the thrilling sensual adventures we find in the books we love. Check the podcast out on all platforms at Steeped in Romance and keep updated on our Twitter and Instagram pages. This is the Voices of Misery podcast. This show isn't for the easily offended, so PC Police on Patrol stand by. You've been warned. Now let's join the nerd and nerdette with another podcast for that ass. Welcome back to another episode of the Voices of Misery podcast, ladies and gentlemen. We're just really pumping them out this week, man. You know, we've been really busy and... uh I have to, you know, before I get too far into the intro, I do want to tell you guys, Nerdette is not here tonight because she doesn't do these things. She doesn't like to do interviews. She's just a very, very damn person with these Boo. things. Boo. <laughs> I know we already got one person booing us. And that voice that you just heard is returning champion, Mr. John Enright. How you doing, bud? I'm doing great, my man. Doing great. How are you? Not too bad. I'm glad you came back on the show because I have a bone to pick with you. All right. Go ahead. You've ruined my life for a very short time, and you know this, right? You are directly responsible for this. Okay, go ahead. I'll take it. So what happened was, for those of you that don't remember or maybe have not listened to this episode, I do implore you to pause this one and go back and listen to that one first so you can get the context. I had John on because he he is a, a, a pastor, correct? Uh, yeah, I, I used to be. So not right now. I'm not serving right now, but I used to be. Okay, so so the, the reason why I wanted him on the show is because he knows a lot about the Bible. He just knows more than any other human being that I ever came into contact with at the time with the whole religion thing. So I'm like, let me have him on the show and ask him some questions, poke a little fun, and you know maybe learn something in the end. Things, I don't know, we had a really long, I don't know what, we'll be like an hour and a half or so? Yeah, something like that. And there were a lot of religious questions asked, and at the end of the thing, I was like, you know what, I still don't believe in God. What happens to me less than a month later? I lose my job. Things were horrible. And I was at like the lowest point of my life. So I blame you. I think you put some kind of religious voodoo on me or something. Uh, I mean, if you remember, and if you look at your text, I think I was the one saying I'm praying for you and I'm helping you out. Baby. So I kind of did the opposite. But, you know, I'll take whatever you want to give me. I don't care. Well, I have to take what you gave me, man. I was, that was a miserable couple of months, man. <laughs> so I'm going to try I'm gonna try to be a good boy right now. I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to say anything anti-religion but i do have some questions for you coming up a little bit later but that's fine hey questions are good it's no i mean i question all the time that's not the issue um i think if you don't question i think then that's where you get into trouble where you get the people who just follow blindly so i I think asking questions is great i actually think that's a really big problem with society and i'm glad you said that because a lot of people feel like they have all the answers for everything and i think that's where people butt heads a lot now because you can't have conversation or dialogue and when everyone thinks to write there is no room for conversation because it's just going to end in conflict every time 
Exactly. Exactly. If we can't have open discussion and open minds and listen and learn from each other, then why are we doing it? You know, really, at the end of the day. Exactly. And you've been a really busy bee lately. Last month you were involved with the, uh, the, the domestic violence thing, right? Yeah, so Teen Dating Violence Awareness Month just ended, which, hey, thank you. You were one of the few podcasts that carried the promo all the way through the month, which I appreciate greatly. Um, you and a shout out to my boy, Bello. Um, y'all were the only two that carried it throughout the entire month. But, I mean, lots of people did it. Big Ray, uh, so many people put the, the promo out there, which I'm very appreciative of. Um, so that was an entire month of just doing projects around our area, letting teen know, teens know the importance of teen dating violence uh, at a program we talked about with our kids who we help about having making healthy relationships and good choices, the signs of what a bad relationship is, things like that. So it was a busy month for sure. Now, what would you tell somebody? When, like, like, what are the surefire signs of an abuser? Because everybody doesn't really give off all the warning signs initially because you you aren't born an abuser you become an abuser correct yeah i would say so i, I it's a learned behavior um and so i I'm, i would definitely say that is something that um people learn because they um or they don't know how to handle themselves in an appropriate manner uh, those would be the two reasons why a person becomes that way and so uh there are some small signs you can look for uh if a person uh, defers to an individual all the time that they're um, with. If that person, if uh, one person is always clinging on to the other person, um, or you know, deferring to that person, I think is a big sign that sometimes we miss. We go, oh, that's cute. Look at those two together. Um, especially with teens, we see that. Oh, those two are always together. But that might not necessarily be the sign of a healthy relationship. It could be that someone is forcing someone to do that um, because then that person becomes isolated. And they have no one to turn to. And so, therefore, they're dependent on their abuser now. Um, and so, that's, that's, a, that's one. It's a big one. Um, I'd say if you have a teen who's in a relationship and they seem to be spending majority of their time with their significant other, ask questions. Um, ask, you know, what they're doing. Things like that. Just to kind of keep, the, keep it aware that maybe you don't need to spend all this time with their person. That maybe the, friend that they're, the friends they're with don't hang out anymore. Hey, why don't you go hang out with so-and-so? Well, I want to spend time with my boyfriend. That's not a healthy relationship. So we want to make sure that we can still have that individuality as a person. And I think with teens, we kind of we kind of gloss over that because, you know, oh, it's so cute. They're all together. So that would be the big one, I'd say. That's interesting because I'm thinking about it now. Like I'm trying to visualize it in my head, like a couple, young couple, teenagers, and I can see it in my head where, you know, maybe like someone asks the girl a question, she puts her head down, defers to the man, and that's a show like like that's a show of basically control issues. The guy's controlling her, maybe doesn't want her to speak without his permission, and that's where it starts, perhaps. But you see that a lot in older couples. You do you see it. I mean, but that's the thing. It, it's really not an age issue. Um, because once again, it's a learned behavior. Uh that person maybe even might not uh they're they're significant other will let them have access to their phone you know i mean i've been married 15 years and i don't go check my wife's phone and my wife's a fitness instructor i mean she's hot i mean i'm, I'm doing good in that department and uh, <laughs> you know but i mean and she works out so she does classes with people she's friends with other fitness instructors they're way higher than me but i don't go digging in her phone because i trust her and and she the same with me she doesn't go digging in my phone or whatever 
So that's another one. If people don't have privacy, uh, if, you know, they don't, if they let that other person access their phone freely, um, you know, it's okay to have privacy, even in a relationship. You should have that as part of a healthy relationship. So that's, that's another warning sign to be aware of. I'm a big proponent of privacy as well. Um, the thing is, like, you have to have something for yourself. And I also tell people, too, because uh, I, I don't remember how, how old you were, but I'm 37. And I do get in contact with a lot of younger people at, at my current location where I work. Mm-hmm. And whenever I give them any kind of advice at all, because, like, sometimes certain interactions can be longer than another and small talk happens, I always tell them, hey, open up your own bank account. It's cool, you know, like if you guys have an apartment together, maybe have a joint account for the bills and then have your own separate money, have your own card. Don't ever let yourself get compromised in a position where if you guys get into an argument and he throws you out or you throw him out, you have nothing. Make sure you have something. Make sure you have something to fall back on. Be independent. Exactly. It's okay to be independent. It's okay to uh, to have your own money. It's um, I mean, we're at 15 years now. So at this point, we know we're, we're stuck with each other. So we have just a joint account. But I mean, like, so I do officiate weddings on the side. And so I get that cash from that or a check. And then that's mine. I, I get to use use it how I feel. Same with my wife. If she has a client who pays cash or does whatever, she uses that how she feels. It's kind of like our our have fun money, you know, a little bit. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but I mean, it, unless there's like, hey, we have a real need. Then I'll go, okay, you know, I don't mind pitching in and helping with, with that. But, you know, it, it goes back to, all right, that's your thing. You go do your thing. So like doing a wedding this weekend in East Texas, I went over to East Texas, did a wedding. All right. Well, there's your money. You know, that's, that's a cool thing. So that's kind of how we operate. Um, because the, the, the checks and stuff that we have for our shared account, that's pretty much all bills, you know, um, working for a nonprofit, that's pretty much all of our money is going to food and bills. So, you know, there's not much other play money except for what we get from side jobs or whatever. So, now, do you find the kids receptive that you talk to, the teenagers that you try to give this information to? Because, you know, a lot of the times they feel like they already have it all figured out at the age of 16, 17, even younger. They feel like they have life figured out. Do you think they listen or like, oh, this guy's all right. Yes. Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. And they just like shake their head. But you, but they're not really taking it in. So, uh, I mean, the kid, like so it depends on what we're doing. So like right now, starting last month, um, we've been in uh, I've been in the schools for eighth grade. uh talking about anti-bullying for the last five or six weeks. Um, I do that for a six-week program. That one is a little harder uh, because some of the kids think they know. But I try, as being the person I am, I try to be engaging, have fun, good videos, things along those lines to capture capture their attention. And hopefully by the end, they've learned at least something. Uh, The kids who come to our program are definitely more receptive um, because they, they maybe have a need of some sort. And so it speaks to them a little bit more. So we're able to kind of get more detailed, talk about the teen dating violence thing, and it helps them go, you know, some of them are 12 and 13 years old and they aren't thinking about a relationship yet, but planning those seeds now will help them as they get older to make wise decisions. Um, But with the larger programs where I'm in a a class talking to 20 to 30 kids at a time for, you know, six periods straight for eight hours a day, that's um, sometimes it's a little harder, but I tend to be very creative with my presentations so that at least they've learned something by the end of the six weeks. Now, the videos that you show them, are they videos that you create yourself with with like friends or are they just 
those generic school videos that you press play and it's like some old school like 1980s intro and all that good stuff no i find like i'll find funny stuff on youtube or uh there's actually a really good teaching um uh, channel called story uh story booth and what they do is that uh, people call in with their actual stories and then the animators for this um channel animate it so that the person stays anonymous the and and you don't see what their pictures are like they just draw the story out and it's usually between three to four minutes long and they talk about things so like the one, one today i showed about was uh talking about internet safety one was about a girl who sent nudes and how that affected her life and then another one was about a girl who interacted with an a with an anonymous online account and how it affected her life and um so you don't know who they are. You just know that they tell their story and it's animated so you can see it. So that's a great example. Uh, and then some other times I just put funny random things in there or we find uh, stuff that pertains to the topic. Like our first week we talk about awareness, being aware of other people. And there's a great PSA um, that the city of London did about bicycles. And it's uh, you have two teams, one team dressed in uh, white clothing, another in a black clothing, and they have a basketball and you have to count the passes. But most people don't see that there's a dancing bear right through the middle of it. And so there <laughs> says, oh, hey, I see 13. That was the number. And they're like, yeah. And then the video goes, but did you see the dancing bear? And everybody goes, what? And so it backs up and it shows the guy in the bear suit kind of doing the moonwalk through the, the passes. And everybody's like, what? I didn't see that. And so being that idea that we're talking kids about how to pay attention to your environment and your surroundings, don't forget that person that maybe is odd or different. You know, you can pay attention to them as well. And so, you know, just finding fun videos like that can help them do that. And then I have large bags of candy. So they tend to, um, you know, pay attention a little better when I'm passing out, uh, you know, peanut butter Snickers or, you know, Skittles or Starbucks. Like that. Oh, all the carbs, all the carbs. Oh, my God. You're killing these. <laughs> the sugar, you know. Oh, boy. Well, I want to bring it back to the bullying thing here because okay. it's very it's, it's very tricky nowadays. And. You know, you and I are both older gentlemen. We're not old by any means, but we are older. So we do remember what life was like before the Internet, what life was like before all this other stuff, cell phones being connected 24-7. Bullying was a lot different when we were growing up. I felt like it was more harmless than it is now. It was less uh, mental and more physical. I think the physical was a lot easier to deal with than the mental mind games these kids are playing with each other now with Facebook and Twitter. How, how do you feel about that? Oh, I agree totally, because, I mean, I was a victim of bullying for four years from fourth grade to eighth grade. And the only reason why I stopped when I got to high school is because uh, I played football and I was really good and I could hit people real hard. And all of a sudden, everybody wanted to be my friend, you know. So, uh, you know, I mean, I mean, I wasn't bad. I was an all district, all parish, all Louisiana linebacker. So I was pretty good at what I did. But up until that point, people didn't see they well, he doesn't play sports or I didn't play the sports with them. So there was no value. So it was always. Um, you know, it was mental a lot, but there was a lot of physical as well. Um, but the thing about it today is when I went home, I didn't have to worry about my bully following me home because they didn't live in my neighborhood. Exactly. Um, we were spread out because I went to a private school in Louisiana because Louisiana public schools suck. And so <laughs> my mom and dad were like, oh, no, there ain't no way my child is going to that school. So they started and saved to make sure that we all three of us could go to a private school for our, our entire career. And so in that aspect, we were more spread out in the city. And so it wasn't like you all lived in the same area. So I didn't see my bully when I went home. But nowadays, kids with this Facebook and Twitter, Snapchat is, golly, they just, and I mean, there's no, Snapchat is the wild west. They can do, 
You can add whoever. Anybody can add you. They can send whatever they want. It's it's just a mess. But uh, your bullies can follow you home um, <laughs> and, and say, hey, you know, you look stupid today. Or, you know, why are you continuing to live? I mean, they're telling this while well, this kid is sitting at home, which is supposed to be a safe place. And they're continually being bombarded, you know, and then you block them. And they can create another account and just add you on Snapchat and just keep 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 it going no matter how many times you block a person. So, um, you know, it's definitely something that is, I think, worse today because the physical we're seeing actually decline. Uh, the number one form of bullying is verbal, getting in people's faces, calling them names. But the fastest rising in the last five years was cyberbullying um, because wow. of the anonymity of it, the ease of it, the ability just to attack someone 24 seven. Um, and it's a terrible thing. And that's why we're seeing more 12 and 13 year olds last year committed suicide than any other time of the year. It rose by 25%. You know, people are, you know, they're not letting kids be kids and these kids are just seeing no way out. So they think, you know what, the only way I'm going to do this is if I kill myself, which, you know, that's not the way to go. There is help. And, but these are 12 and 13 year olds. They don't know a lot of these things. They just know that if I in the pain, I, I just kill myself, you know? So, how does that idea even enter a 12-year-old's head? Because I blame parents in a lot of these situations, too, because you have to be there for your kid. you got to monitor what's going on these phones, man. Like, our kids are 12 and 10, and they both have iPhone XRs. My wife goes through the phone at least once every couple of days just to see what's going on, make sure no crazy stuff's going on. These parents are absent. They give these kids these devices and just say, go go ahead. Yeah. yeah. No, that, I mean, that's – but the part of the problem is to – um, the way things are in our society. My mom and dad, even though they save money, my dad could work and afford everything we needed. And now both parents have to work to make things survive. You know, my wife and I work, I work mostly days. She works nights. So my son sometimes is home by himself for a little bit. He's 14. But yeah, I check his phone. You know, he's into TikTok now, which I'm learning about that. And I'm going, okay, what is this? You know, um, and it's a way to make videos or whatever. But I go, all right, let me see your phone. Let me see what you're TikToking. Let me see who you're watching. Let me see who you're talking to um, every couple of days because I want to make sure he's safe. Um, and so it's one of those things where um, it's a good aspect for us because it helps us know that he's safe. We can contact him. Uh, if he decides to go to my in-laws, they live about a mile away. He can let me know and I know he's there. Um, but at the same time, it's one of those things where I've got to constantly monitor when I'm there um, to, to make sure he's safe. But a lot, a lot of people in our, in our rural area uh, in Texas, um, 40, only 40% of people can afford their home that they live in right now because of the cost of living. And so um, a lot of parents are having to work either two jobs or um, both parents are working. And how do you how do you monitor your kids sometimes? You know, that's that's the hard part is you, these kids are having to grow up faster than you and I had to. Um, true. Very, very true. You know, because of the things they're having to deal with um, and they're having to become adult, they're having to learn schedules and take care of things and and becoming an adult faster. And, and we're throwing them things like the Internet and say perform responsibly when we have adults who can't handle how to use the Internet properly. You know, when yeah. they can't if we can't have adults who do it properly, why are we asking kids to do the same thing? And so it's it's a hard thing because I as much as I want to blame the parents, I can't in the aspect of. If they're working and they're both working, they're trying to make things happen. How do you say you're a bad parent? 
when you're trying to make sure they have enough food on the table, a house to live in, a roof over their heads, you know, there mm-hmm. it's a situational thing. I think at the end of the day, what's the answer then? Because the fact of the matter is, is like we need a place to live. We need a place that has lights, food in it, a car to get to and from work, and a take your family on outings and things like that. You need money to sustain your lifestyle. And if both parents are working and the kids are home alone with all these internet devices and you're getting bullied and bullying other people, what's the answer? How can we get more of a work-life balance in life, man? You know, it seems like most of the country is a two-parent working family and there's no time for our kids anymore. What's the answer to this? Yeah, and that's the hard part is I don't know because I'm not smart enough, um, you know, as much as I would say, Hey, let our government step in. Um, we've seen when our government steps in, and they're pretty terrible. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I don't, I don't trust the government to run things. Uh, I mean, just take the VA for example. Look at the mess that is. And then, yet yeah, we want to let our government run our healthcare. Um, if it's going to be anything like the VA, I'm, I'm okay. You know, um, having friends who are veterans and tell me about their wait times for the VA, I'm like, no, that's uh, that's not cool. It shouldn't be that way. And those are mm-hmm. veterans who are very important people. So. How, I mean, unless the government finds a way to reduce inflation, increase prices uh, of, of wages, I mean, and lower prices, that's the only thing I can think of. So we can get back to that, you know, one parent is able to work and sustain what they're doing. But, you know, even alone property taxes, I mean, out here in rural Texas, my property taxes have skyrocketed in the last two years to where I've had to go to the property tax board and be like, man, my house isn't worth what y'all are saying. Why are you doing this? And I'm like, well, you know, this is what it is. I mean, I got him to take it down a little, but it's not, you know, I mean, it's a, it's ridiculous how so many people now, that's part of the problem. They can't afford their home because property taxes have skyrocketed. Um, how do we handle that? How do we do that? I, I don't know. It's, that's one answer I can't answer for you. I really think the whole system does need to be reworked because we are having people in charge of people that don't have money and the people that are in charge have all the money. So they can't, on a you know one-to-one basis, relate to what anyone is going you know going through. And Bernie Sanders has three homes. One of them just a regular vacation home. Two of them are like large mansions. This guy's worth millions of dollars. Elizabeth Warren, all the people on the left, all the people on the right, worth millions of dollars, and they're making the decisions for people like you and me that struggle. And I just think that maybe we're overthinking it. Like you said, you're not smart enough. I'm not smart enough either to come up with these answers. But maybe we need someone like that in a position of power that can just, you know, layman's terms, lay it out there for everybody else. That would be great if someone would be willing to do that. The problem is nowadays to be able to have someone do that, they need financing and backers, pardon me, and they need people who are willing to support them. And that goes back to then, well, if you if I support you, I need you to do this, you know, mm-hmm. and it, that it's just the cycle that goes happens. And and no matter what, there is going to be a president uh, or a candidate who or whatever kind of politician, they're going to start off and they're going to be grassroots. But eventually special interests are going to get their hook in them and you're going to go back to the same old, same old, you know, and that's that's the issue is there's no real diversity, even though Bernie says he's going to do these things. I don't see how he can do it. I don't see how he can, because there's going to be special interests who are going to block the whole thing. And it's just going to be an ineffectual presidency, because if he, even if he attempts to try to do one thing, special lobbyists and um, all kinds of stuff are going to step in and, and stop it. You know, so uh, whoever yeah, it is, a radical change. 
the only thing, the only idea that the left has come out with that I actually am really in favor of is raising the price of, uh, of, of like their stock <clears throat> that like, you know, how like they go to like a wall street or whatever they do, like their little stock market shit. Sure. I guess, I guess we're going to raise it like a very small fraction, like a 0.001%. And with that small increase, they were saying the way the math works out that it can pay off student loans and eradicate them. So many people fall for that trap of, Hey, you have to go to college. You have to go to college. They send guidance counselors to high schools to basically like make these kids go to college and say, just get them sold. They're like army recruiters. And they get them sold because the school, the high school gets some kind of a, a kickback from what I'm told for people that commit to going to schools that, you know, from the recruiters that visit, they get some sort of a kickback or some kind of a bonus or they get rated somehow. So I, I, I hate student loans. I hate college. I hate the idea of college. I hate the fact that you have to pay for this higher education that a lot of people that graduate can't even get into the job of choice. They're working at McDonald's and they've got a freaking degree in something that they're well above their pay grade flipping burgers, you know? Yeah, so yeah. that's the only idea behind that they ever came up with. Which is interesting. I mean, I, I went to college. I have a degree in broadcasting. Um, you know, so uh, I'm not, obviously I'm not using my degree. I kind of knew I was going to seminary and doing some other things. But it still isn't a thing I could fall back on. Um, but it was that idea of um, I got I found a way to get my school paid for. So I walked out of college without debt. But, you know, for a lot of people, that's not the case. Um, and so it's that I, it, but the, and the biggest issue is the cost of college. State funded colleges can cost an arm and a leg. You know, colleges that are receiving money from the state to be affordable can be just as expensive as private schools. Now, tell me how that's right. You know, I mean, it's I understand a, it's not. a private school can charge whatever they want, they're private school, but a state funded school should not cost you tens of thousands of dollars. I mean, it's it's receiving money from the state to be affordable. Why is it get, raising its tuition every year to where it's tens of thousands of dollars? It's it's ridiculous. I mean, uh, looking at the tuition from when I was a kid, you know, 20 years ago to now, it's amazing what it costs for my university now. Uh, I'm like, that's ridiculous, you know? Um, you're a state-funded school. You should not be having to raise tuition every year and you shouldn't be $10,000 a semester or whatever. You know, I don't know. It's been forever since I've looked at schools, but I'm going to have to because I have a 14-year-old. But, you know, <laughs> at, at our agency, we, we tell kids, look, there's nothing wrong with going to trade school. We work with Job Corps. They come into yeah. presentation talking about how you can go to trade school and learn a trade and you can have a job making, you know, good money right, out, right after you finish. Um, if you want to go to college, they can help you do that. We work with Army recruiters because there's nothing wrong with going in the Army. The Army or, or the Armed Services, they're great. They'll help you pay per college if that's something you want to do. But you're going to learn a trade, you're going to learn a skill that you can take out of, out of the military and apply it to real world. And I guarantee you more people are going to hire you because you have that skill set already. Um, they are, they are, they most likely will because of the skill set that you've had in the military. Um, that's what my dad did. My dad hired a lot of people. He ran an oil and gas company uh, for 45 years, and he would look for Eagle Scouts, uh, military veterans, and uh, over college degree people because he knows those people are disciplined and they they know what they're doing and they're going to do the right thing. And so why not, you know, go with that route? It, it, there's nothing wrong with it. We we've put such a stigma on you know trade jobs and and manual labor that there's such a shortage now 
that we actually risk ruining our country's infrastructure because we've put such a, oh, that you work outside and dig in a ditch and all that. And guess what? That ditch, it takes all the crap away so you don't have to be sitting in waller and filth. And they're making sure that you have a healthy community to live in. So ain't nothing wrong with digging no ditch. You know, so... The whole stigma has always been people that go to trade school are less than because if you have an education, it means you're educated. It means you're smart. You went to college. You're a smart person. You're, you're just at a higher plateau. You're, you're, you're destined to make way more money, even though from experience, I've seen people that are you know digging those ditches and doing those manual labor jobs that went to a vocational school because I went to one myself when I was in high school. I, I, I transferred over to a place called Votech in uh, Piscataway, New Jersey. And a lot of the people that I graduated with out of there became like cosmetologists, auto mechanics, and they are making so much money, open up their own shops, they're in control of their own lives, their own destiny, and they're happy. And they worked with their hands. And that's something that people just don't do anymore. You learn from a book, or you learn virtually, you train virtually, you do everything virtually. And you just don't have that real life experience. You don't know what it feels like to hold a tool in your hand. And that's the way life's going. I mean, you see the way things are getting automated now, like computers are taking jobs from people that are coming out of college. The people that are needed are going to be the ones that can build with their hands. And I think that's why we should probably embrace the technical schools a lot more than we're doing now, which it's just not the case right now. Exactly. That, that's what we talk with our with our students is, look, find the thing you're passionate about. And if it's a trade school, go for it. You know, we've we've we've. Uh, graduated kids who've gone to college. One's at a trade school learning to be a chef at a culinary uh, school. Uh, another went into the military um, with the hopes of maybe becoming able, being able to go to college to be a doctor. But he's doing the military thing first because, you know, going to the Marines, which I was like, man, that's great. I'm, I'm glad that's the choice you're chosen. So others are choosing to work so that they can, you know, find their career and then, you know, maybe go to trade school or, or, or go to college. But the, the, what we tell them is find your passion, find that thing. And whatever it is, don't be ashamed of it. Own it and do that thing because you're going to be happy at the end of the day doing the thing you enjoy doing, whatever that is. You know, for me, it's interacting with people, talking to them, you know, and finding out how I can help them in some way, shape or form. Um, but for other people, it's different, you know. So that's that's my passion, but it doesn't apply to everybody. You know, everybody has their own passions, uniques. You need to find what that is, get the education for it, whether it be through a trade school or however you need to get educated and then go do it, you know, um, hmm. uh, and, and, you know, learn basic things like how to change your tire, how to fix some of the things in your house. Um, you know, when I left college, I knew how to do all the mechanical things, but then my mom made sure I knew how to cook I knew how to wash clothes, I had to iron because she's like, uh, my child will not look like some ragamuffin walking around with dirty clothes. And if, you know, so, I mean, I had to learn, I learned how to clean the house, dust, vacuum, all that stuff on top of mowing grass, uh, taking care of the lawnmower and mechanical aspects of it on my vehicle, all that stuff. You know, it was, I, I was a well-rounded individual because my parents were like, no, you have to work for everything. You're not given anything and you need to know how to take care of stuff yourself, you know? And so learn those things. They're, they're easy. They're not that hard. Um, but I get so there's there's things we don't want to do. Uh, I don't love paperwork, but my job requires a crap ton of paperwork. You know, um, that nonprofit life is just paperwork half the time. You know, if I if I move a van 30 feet, I have to record why it's been moved. But that's just part of it. I don't enjoy it. I have to learn how to deal with it. And then you go find things you're passionate about to offset the things that suck. You know, and go do those things. 
And that's very good. And, and that's a very good point too, because going to trade schools, you can go there, you can be a plumber, you can be an electrician, you can, you can go there for pretty much anything that people don't want to do nowadays. And we are so lazy. And I don't know if, if like you've listened long enough to our show where we told personal stories about like how our plumbing went bad. We had no fucking clue how to stop this. Yeah. Which I, I laughed because I was like, I know exactly what you need to do, but I can't yell at the screen and tell you what to do. So. Exactly. But it's like we are going to just need more skilled workers, skilled professionals, because we are just getting worse. People are just like me and like my wife. The only thing that I knew how to do that I was taught how to do growing up was cook. You have to know you have to know how to eat, 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 eat. And I always taught how to cook. I'm a very good cook. But other than that, I don't have life skills like I can't I, I can't change a tire. I don't even know what the parts of the car are. I just know how to fill up the freaking um. Windshield wiper fluid, and I know how to drive the damn thing, and I know how to fill it up with gas. That's it. I've always admired people that can hear an engine and be like, "That's a 1967 so and so," and it's and they're right. Yeah, that's my dad. Oh, my dad is—he's an incredible mechanic. He can do that kind of stuff, and uh, didn't go to college, but yet um, was a great mechanic, and for 45 years ran a half a billion dollar oil and gas company without any college because he knew how to work, he knew how to learn, and he learned how to listen and shut up. And um, and he and he learned how to delegate. Um, I mean, the fact that he started. I mean, he was an airplane mechanic uh, for for a long time and racing cars. You know? He was racing cars in the and it was a chief mechanic for an airplane shop in Tyler, Texas. And so uh, the guy that owned the oil and gas company liked my dad because he took care of his airplane so well and said, "Hey, I've got seven wells in South Louisiana. You want to go do it?" And the only reason why my dad did it was because he offered him more money than he was making at the time. And so he didn't know anything about oil and gas wells, but he knew about engines and he knew how mechanics. So he learned the oil and gas business. He learned everything. He learned how to handle business and how to handle people where at 70 years old, he was able to retire and the company was able, it, it, there was no debt. Mind you, an oil and gas company, he leaves it with no debt and enough cash to function without any debt. So uh, that's the kind of person he was. You know, he took care of the things he had. He knew how to do that kind of, but he learned all of that on his own. And he learned stock markets. He learned, you know, trades. He learned uh, health ma- healthcare management um, in his job because he, he was hard on his people. He had a standard, didn't waver from it, but he took care of them. Not one person in that company ever saw a medical bill. The company that he, he ran it, he took care of all medical bills that came through for people, no matter what, what, what it was. They did not see a bill. He took care of it for them. And so even with all of that, never a, de- a drop of debt. He got them out of debt and he kept them debt-free for the rest of the time. You know? oh, but that's, that's who he was. And he learned how to do that. It was not, he wasn't in college. He didn't go. He couldn't afford it because my grandfather was an alcoholic. So was my grandmother. And they could afford to send one child. And that was the older uh, uncle who went, my oldest uncle. And then my dad was second. And he just had to kind of figure it out. And he could only afford a, a little bit. And so he had to work. And then he just raced cars and learned mechanics that way and went from there. Oh, man. You, see, you, you know what? It's guys like that that have what I like to call old man strength. Mm-hmm. And no matter how old they get, they get to knock somebody out like 30 years their junior, you know? He's just like yeah. a rough, tough guy that knows how to work and just, just did it. And I, I like hearing stories like that. Yeah. You, just, you just don't see that anymore. Yeah. And you want to know the funny part? My dad is 5'5", five, five, maybe 138, and so I'm probably twice his size. And yet, you know, 
I have no no qualms with going, you know what? I'm not going to mess with my dad. And, of course, my mom is exactly like me, but with long hair. So, definitely <laughs> don't my mom. So. Yeah. There's just something about uh, like a real man that 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 works for a living and does their thing and, and just and just knows how to do shit that just really makes me feel like an inferior piece of garbage. So good on your dad for for you know just being a man's man, dude. Yeah, um, and, 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 and I think the important part was he he transferred that knowledge to the next generation, you know, to to myself and to where yeah. I'm able to do that with my son. So you know that I can teach him the same things that my dad taught me. You know, I can't break an engine down like my dad can, but I can at least get an idea of what's going on. So if I have to take it to a shop and I can at least say, this is what this is, this is what this is, this is what's going on. Um, and then they can, I can know if they're kind of, kind of, you know, jacking me around a little bit. So um, that's the thing that I, I appreciate that he taught me that I will you know, definitely pass on to my child. That's awesome. You got to keep that thing going, my friend. It's about the legacy, like he says. What kind of legacy are you leaving behind? Exactly. Let me ask you a question, though, because you are in the nonprofit business and I have a lot of questions about the nonprofit. But just my main question would be, what exactly does nonprofit mean? So you're not taking money from the people that you're going to help, but you are receiving a salary. So where does that money come from? Or is so, that not even uh, the case? Uh, no. So, no, that's a good question. Um, so in our situation, we get we have, so like last week, um, we get a government grant from the state of Texas. We had to apply for our new grant last week, and we had to actually write the grant, which was not a lot of fun. Trust me, writing grants are, are I think, of the devil, and I would not wish that on my worst enemy. So um, I imagine hell will be people writing grants forever. You know, it's, it is awful. <laughs> you have to cover everything. Right? I mean, there's just so much stuff there that you've got to cover that you want to do for your program and justify and give money. I mean, this is so much stuff. But the state of uh, Texas gives us a grant. They have programs that say, all right, you meet this program. These are the things we want to see. So we have to write grants. Also, we receive money from uh, United Way in the area. They they do the good stuff for us, too, raising money. And then they we're like one of 10 programs that they give money to um, that we're able to use for it. I mean, it's not nearly the same amount that the state of Texas has, but it's a significant amount that helps us uh, from that aspect. And so, like, when we write the grant for the state of Texas, our salaries are included. Um, this is what, how much we're paying for staff. This is what we're paying for our transportation. And, you know, we need to see an increase in this this year because we're, we're doing these things. And these are the number of kids we're helping, you know, stuff like that. And then we also, uh, we have a, a yearly fundraiser called the Safari, where it's a, you know, safari-themed dinner. And we have entertainment and options and stuff like that. And then just random people will donate. Um, you know, to our program to help keep it going. And that money can be used for whatever. So the main part of our function that comes from the state of Texas is that we fall under a certain grant and then we meet those criteria. And so then we, in turn, have to show that we're using the money properly. So obviously they see our salaries. Okay, this worked out. Um, the mileage that we do and stuff like that, we can make adjustments. So if we start using our vans more, we're going to get more kids. We can adjust, okay, we need to add a little bit more here, but take away from somewhere else because we're not using as much of it. Things like that are all the things you have to deal with on a monthly basis when it comes to, you know, working for a nonprofit. It's not easy. It's not fun. You can't just show up and go, hey, we're going to go do this. You have to justify everything you do in in your work day, you know, essentially. 
Now, do they assign somebody to you? Because I'd imagine that these grants are not very small amounts of money if you got to pay an entire crew to do something for a set amount of time. So do they assign someone to you? And in my mind, I'm imagining Walter Peck from Ghostbusters. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know because you're a fellow nerd like me. So I knew oh, when yeah. I said Walter Peck, he would be like, all right. I know yeah. that. No, that was great. That was a great analogy. <laughs> so, so, uh, so we go through the office of the governor, and then they have what's called the Council of Government. So there's like three different people that are kind of oversee an area. So like we're in the North Texas area, so they kind of oversee uh, different aspects of it. So we had to turn in our grant to a certain person, who then kicks it to another person, and then you know it goes from there because it's bureaucracy. I mean, you can't just hand it to the person who makes the decision. It's going to go through three people before you get your approval. So, um, but that aspect being that um, we do have people who oversee our agency, um, a couple of different agencies. So they'll come in and monitor what we're doing, seeing how we're doing, are we keeping up with our paperwork, stuff like that. So it's not like you just get to run around really, really nilly and do whatever. No, there's people who will come do spot checks or things along those lines who are with the state. And if you're not, the, you know, it's like, okay, let's fix this right now. Because, you know, your grant depends on it. And the next grant you write is dependent on, I mean, so that's, that's kind of what it is, is uh, there's a lot of monitoring and there's a lot of things going on that will, you know, and of course, they, if you do something and it can trigger something that the state can all of a sudden come in and go, all right, we're going to come look at your books and let's check this stuff out. So that's why it's always important to make sure you're really on top of everything you're doing. It sounds a lot like there's a there's a parallel on a much smaller level, you know, as what we're doing here with podcasting. When you're looking for sponsors, when you're looking for someone to give you their hard-earned money to provide some kind of service for them. So I, I, I get it on a very small scale, but it sounds like you guys got a hell of a lot to keep up with. I imagine a lot of receipts, paperwork, everything has to be accounted for. So, man, like... I don't envy him, but I do want to ask why you got into this line of work, because there had to have been a moment in your life where you're like, you know what? I want to do this. I want to help people. I want to teach people. I want to help them. Is this something you've always had a goal in doing or when did this start? Yeah, no, it's always been something. So when I was 12, I think last time I talked about my spiritual aspect of my, my life, mm -hmm. this has always been who I am, you know? Um, so 20 years of ministry, I'm doing the same things. It's just at a more directed scale helping kids who are in need. So to me, I don't, I'm, I like to still, I might not be pastoring anywhere, but I'm still ministering to people is what I like to tell people. So, you know, I'm not with the church, but I'm still a minister and I'm still helping people. So it's just now I have to do a lot more work to do it, which I'm okay with because um, I don't mind the accountability because I'm not doing anything wrong. So yeah, go ahead, come look at me. I'm just helping people. And I'm doing the best I can at what I can do to help somebody. And that's, that's what I've always wanted to do is help people. Um, I mean, I think to the day I die, I'm going to be doing something to help people. You know, that's just the, the person I am. That's kind of the, the, the things that my parents instilled in me, you know, uh, growing up, that was kind of their focus. And so in turn, I kind of took that and went to another level with it. Um, and so, you know, and they encourage, they've encouraged me every step of the way. Um, you know, they've, they've been there for me with encouragement and, and things like that. Um, you know, so that's, that's, I guess, having that backing of your parents going, you do what you want and this is what you want to do. We'll support you 100%. That, that's great. You know, so having that encouragement behind me, having a wife who supports me, um, you know, it just really makes it a lot easier to go, 
well, we're going to go do this and it's going to be 25 grand a year, but we'll make it work. You know, and your wife says, yeah, we can make that work. That's not a big deal. Um, because you, she knows that's what you are and what you've done. Because I've, there've been times where I haven't done those things and I was not necessarily the best person um, to be around, you know, working retail. Um, there's a local, uh, well, not local. It's a large, um, uh, what do we call it? The Sporting Goods Store Academy. I don't know if y'all have those in um, South Carolina. Um, Never heard of it. It's, it's like a Dick's or something like that. Like yeah. a Dick's. Sporting? Okay. It's, it's, it's like a low rent Dick's is what I would call it. So, you know, uh, but it was retail essentially at the end of the day. And of so, um, you know, I, I did not, not necessarily come home a very happy person uh, doing that. Um, because even though I, I wasn't really helping people uh, as much as you'd like to think, I'm helping someone, you're helping them find a bat or a glove or a tent or whatever. You know, to me, that was just, I'm not a stuff person. I don't like a lot of stuff. I don't need a lot of stuff. And so to me, it wasn't fulfilling because it's just helping people get more stuff that maybe they don't need. Whereas we're in this kind of work I'm doing, I'm helping people on a bigger scale with sometimes it's to get stuff they need because they need food or they need clothing. These kids need these things, but more importantly to help them make good decisions in life to maybe break a cycle that they're in. You know, that's to me the more important aspect. Oh, of course. Now let me ask you about retail real quick. Cause I've worked retail for quite a long time and the common theme, no matter where you work, and I don't know if you've worked multiple retail places or maybe just at one. Um, but when I've worked at multiple retail places, you always have nothing but miserable human beings working behind those counters, working in the back rooms, working overnights, doing whatever. And my question to you is, like, why do we impose so much stress in jobs that don't require it? I used to sell cell phones at my previous job. And you would think that would be a simple task. Like, OK, you're going to sell someone a phone. They're going to buy it. They walk out the door. But behind the scenes, there's numbers, 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 goals, goals, quotas, quotas, and you are you threatened your job every other day. It's like, why, why do we put so much stress? And I know the bottom line is making money, but don't you want to make your people happy? I've never had a job that people were just happy. Have you? No, because that's not the point, you know, with retail, especially with retail jobs. And it's funny because my dad and I talked about that this weekend, as a matter of fact, that, you know, because they, they, um, the, town they live in, they opened a Dick's brand new and they have an academy there. So they were talking about the cost. And, you know, my mom was asking me about working there. And my dad was there. And I'm like, you know, at the end of the day, it's about money. They don't care about people. You're replaceable. You're a cog of the machine. If the cog breaks, they put another one in and they'll do the same thing, you know? And so, um, it's the bottom line, you know, the managers were given quotas and they're given things that they have to do. And so at the end of the day, uh, as they say, crap rolls downhill. And when you're an employee, you're going to get that crap. And it stopped with you. And so, you know, it's because these companies don't care about people. Uh, if they did, I guarantee you, they would still see profit. I mean, look what my dad did. Half a billion dollar oil and gas company, took care of his people, left when he retired, no debt, with cash plenty to stay to spare to where the company would not be in, in trouble. Because he took care of his people. He had people who were there for 30 plus years. They were his only boss. They, they knew my dad as their boss, and that's it. I mean... He would people who would reach uh, double digits in multiple years staying with them. He would give them an extra a cruise on top of their vacation time they already had. They would earn a cruise to go somewhere. Um, That's awesome. You can't tell me that that was about the bottom line at the end of the day. It was about the people, and because he did that, look where the company's at when he retires. You know, yeah. they're in a place and they were way better because he took care of people. 
And I think that's the problem. Um, companies think if I if I I got to take care of the bottom line, but if you take care of your people, they will take care of the bottom line for you because they're going to be mm-hmm. invested, they're going to be happy, and they're going to want to do what you ask of them, especially if you don't do ridiculous, stupid things. But nobody wants to do that. They just want the bottom line at the end of the day, and that person's replaced. We'll just get rid of them and go to the next person. Exactly. And I actually got my hands on a, because I had a friend that was a manager at Costco and they showed me a training video that they show all their new hires. And one of the lines that stuck with me, you know, 18 years later after the person showed me this thing was the reason why you go into a Walmart and you get nothing but like blank stares and people that don't care. They, they just point and they walk away. If you ask, hey, where's the tissue? They point and they just over there. They just walk away and over there could be across the damn store. You don't know where they're pointing. The reason why you get that kind of service is because they were paying at the time like seven fifty an hour for like minimum wage. But at Costco, I think they were starting people at like 12 13 bucks an hour and they were giving people livable wages at that time. And it's like you get service when you take care of your people. That's why you go into a Costco and people were always happy. They were always productive and had very low turnover rates. You see the same people every time you go into the store. It became an atmosphere where you knew the workers on a first-name basis. Walmart, just a bunch of you know, fucking soulless bags of flesh just walking around with that ugly vest on pointing in directions where shit's supposed to be. And it's, it, and, and that stuck with me. You have to take care of your people and just hearing how your dad took care of his people is really inspiring. And I hope other small business owners to large business owners can, uh, can kind of adopt that lifestyle because that's what it's all about. It's about people, man. We're all people. We got to take care of each other. Exactly. exactly. We're all sharing this big blue marble. We're all trying to get through life. And don't be a dick to each other at the end of the day. Just, you know, treat each other with respect and try to take care of each other. Um, You know, I mean, and think about this. Even if at Walmart, maybe you have that employee that goes out of their way. They do those things. What bonus are they going to get? They're not going to get anything. They They don't get anything extra for not only doing their job, but going above and beyond. They're not rewarded for that. Why don't we do that? You know, take care of the people who are here. But no, at the end of the day, it's about money and it's about you know, making as much as we can and not taking care of our people. So, you know, that's that's where I struggle. Um, and that's why I like doing this job, because I don't have to worry about that. At the end of the day, I'm worried about how can I help somebody today? How can I make their day a little bit better, even if it's just one person? Yeah. And one thing, too, because like the way that my mind works is, is, is pretty screwed up. It keeps me up at night. I think about weird shit all the time. The people that listen to the podcast already know that they probably know where I'm going with this whole thing. But my whole thing is this, man, like you, we all know that there's an expiration date for all of us here. Mm-hmm. You would think that we would treat each other a little bit better while we're here because we know that, you know, tomorrow's not guaranteed. We work ourselves to death and we are the only species like we're human beings, right? We're the smartest, most intelligent. We're at the top of the food chain because we know how to you know, like build. We know how to make things happen. But you don't see this in other forms of life where people just work themselves to death and put these unnecessary tasks on and put these tariffs on each other where you can't do this, you can't do that, all these rules and shit like that. Like you can't buy a bag of pot, you can't do this, you, you can't do anything, you you can't self-heal. And there's so many laws in place. It's it's almost like we think we're going to live forever and this shit's just going to just just last forever, man. It, it's not. I don't know why we just can't kind of just pull back a little bit and let people take more control yeah and that and that's because at the end of the day the government says hey we know what's best for you we're going to take care you You know and i mean and and we've we've become dependent on that 
we don't we don't think for ourselves. We don't aren't able to do these things because we've just become more desensitized to the fact of well, the government will help us with this or or do this or we've become dependent on things instead of being able to take care of ourselves. Um, you know, and that's I think a big issue is that we're not um, and we're not teaching that to the next generation. You know, things are getting lost every generation because we're not either kids aren't listening or people just aren't teaching about what they're what they've learned. And so then those things become lost in that aspect. So, you know, that's where we have to say, look, enough is enough. We need to start taking care of ourselves. We need to start teaching these things that we know and sharing it with others so that they can know how to best take care of themselves. Uh, because guess what? As much as, you know, our government has done a lot for us, it's, it's, it's not going to be there for us. There's nothing that we can do about it. We just have to be able to, hey, what if the government collapses tomorrow? Are you going to be able to handle what goes on or how to handle and those are the things we have to ask those questions. It's not meant to be scary. It's meant to be practical to go, what can you do? What can't you do? I mean, I'm not an, uh, every, an outdoorsman or I'm not all the, I'm not Ben Hameen who can go sit out in you know, a tree. I, I've done it, but I'm not, I mean, he sounds like he's an incredible hunter. I'm just kind of like a weekend warrior on that aspect of it. Um, but I've, I know a, a little bit I could do, I could be okay. Um, but, you know, those are things like that. Is that something I want to learn? Yeah, I want to maybe, you know, get a little better at those things. Um, you know, what are things I can learn every day and try to be better at? What is something I put in my toolbox to make me that much more? Not that, I mean, make, yeah, make me marketable to other people, but for my own self-edification. We don't do things for our own self-edification anymore. To learn it, to have a skill so that you can say, look what I did, and I'd be proud of that. Um, I think people don't take pride in what they do anymore. They, they go, you know what? I did that. I'm on my own. I changed my tire or I changed my spark plugs. I changed my oil. You know I mean? I don't, I don't take my car to, to do oil changes anymore. My wife and I, we do it. You know, we change our oil in our own cars because it's not that hard. Pop the plug, you get a new, a new filter, you pop that, make sure all the oil goes in the oil pan, plug it all back up, put the new uh, oil in and off you go. Done. Easy. You know, yeah. it's not hard. Be, but, you know, and that's, those are things we're teaching to our son, how to change our own oil. Because we save something like 30 bucks a month or 30 bucks, not a month, because we, we don't do it all the time. But 30 bucks a change because we're not paying the fees that of having people to do it, you know, for themselves. We're just paying for the, the supply. So it's convenience fee. Yeah, yeah. Convenience fee. And, and to go sit on my butt while someone does it and they always come in. Hey, you know, this is bad. And, you know, this is bad. OK, I'll take care of it myself. You know, I mean, no big deal. You know, um, to be able to not have anybody hash you about that and go, you know, what, I'm going to change my wiper blades when I want. I'm going to change my, my filter when I want. I don't need you to tell me what to do. And not to have to deal with that. That's worth it alone right there. Oh, I think so. And it's also like a self-gratification thing because we did have that one big plumbing issue that we probably couldn't do ourselves because we, it required digging and some shit out. It was a big, long ordeal. But there was a smaller one that I did. And I remember when I took the toilet apart and I put something in there to, to, to fix it, there was like a clog or whatever, like my daughter, she took a toy in there or some shit. I felt good. I was like, hey, I did this. Right. You know, to be able to, you know, like, I mean, you know, in part, I mean, we have a maintenance guy who floats around our properties for our, our nonprofit, but half the time I end up doing it myself because I know he's busy. If it's like, you know, we have a toilet that has an issue, I can check the flusher and I can check the, all the, gadgets and everything and make sure we get new work and then if i have to i run to the store 
I get a new one and get reimbursed for it. And I fix it myself because there's things I can handle. There's other times where some of the kids, sometimes they throw things that's not toilet paper down the pipes. And this house is 85 years old. That's my office. And so we had to call a plumber to get a snake and kind of take care of that and find a big nasty thing in our pipe. Um, that was, um, oh, how do I put this nicely? Uh, female products that were flushed down the toilet and that to old house piping because they didn't yeah. like it. Very much. So uh, we had to have that fun conversation with the kids who come to our program. And we have signs up now saying, please only throw toilet paper down the toilet, which I mean, the fact that I have to say that out loud sometimes or, have a sign for that, you know, just blows my mind, you know, <laughs> but that's just, that's life. And you laugh at it and you move forward and you go ahead, you know, that's all you can do. You shoot, you can only imagine the backlash that I got for putting non-flushable baby wipes down our own toilets. Some people called me out and said, don't do that. You're going to clog it. You idiot, but we haven't had any problems. And I still have a fresh, clean butt. Oh yeah. That, that, you got to go to the next level of the bidet. You know, you can make where you can attach a bidet to your, um, uh, they make them now where you can attach them to your existing toilet. You don't have to replace anything. And brother, you ain't lived until you bidet. I feel like I'd be violated if I had a bidet. I have to know what's coming. So I, I have to have something in my hand and I know when it's going to make contact with my with my sensitive parts. The bidet just feels like it's violating you because it just reaches out and just shoots you, right? Like they, like you don't no, control no. it? No, you control it. You, you have them where you control the pressure and the, and all that kind of stuff. So um, it, it's it's not like just randomly going to shoot up your pooper scooter. Um, you control the the flow and all that kind of stuff. So uh, trust me, it's a good deal, brother. I'm telling you, if you if you enjoy the bikes, the next step is the bidet, and it's gonna it's gonna be life changing, my man. I'm I'm afraid the nerd might spend a little bit too much time in front of the toilet if that's the case. If it feels that good when you're spraying yourself, I think I might lose her to the damn bidet. Well, you know, there's that risk, but uh, it might be worth it. <laughs> hey, let me ask you this question here about just becoming a good, because like you're a good guy. You do a lot for other people. Um, how how does someone become a quote unquote good person? How do you become someone who can be selfless? How do you learn that trait? Is it something that has to be ingrained in your DNA or is it something that you can just learn through life experiences? I think it's a learned behavior, really, at the end of the day. I learned it from my parents um, who instilled it to me. Hopefully, I'm, I'm pouring that into my son uh, with, you know, once a month we try to do um, what's called mobile pantry, where the food bank in our area uh, sends trucks out to areas in need, and we go and we serve, and we provide help provide food for people who maybe might not be able to get fresh food or vegetables, and they get it for free, and we help pass those out. Um, so... By doing things like that, hopefully I'm stealing that idea of, you know, doing things for other. And uh, my suggestion would be to start small. Don't think you're going to go to some place and do, just do something small that you're passionate about. Don't do something that you're doing because I feel like I need to find something you're passionate about that you that you enjoy. Um, it could be uh, serving at your animal shelter in your area and just walking dogs. You know, maybe that's the thing you do. Maybe it's, you know, helping... A, uh, the homeless in your area. There's a right across the street from me in a, in a, a property that we ha our agency has another eight, another agency that helps the homeless in our area is there. So that's who I partner with to do the food thing. Um, and, you know, we do some other stuff with them. Uh, but it's find what you're passionate about, what you like. Um, there's a, 
you know, there's some really cool things. We work with a, um, an agency that's a big agency in North Texas that helps uh, nonprofits. And they sent these cards and you pick five things and it's, it's, they're just pictures. You don't know what they mean or anything like that. And those five things are the things you're passionate about and you really love. It's like a dog, military, whatever. But find that thing that you're passionate about and start there and start small. Don't think you're going you're gonna, to, hey, we're going to change the world or whatever. Just, hey, my goal today is to help one person in need in this thing that I'm passionate about and go from there. And then if, if you enjoy it and it continues to grow, continue to grow it. Find that way to make the time to do it. You're going to want to because you're passionate about it. And you're seeing you're seeing people seeing their lives change, and so from there, just see how it goes. Maybe that one thing is the only thing you do, and that's great. You're making a difference. Um, but if if you get passionate about it, you get involved. You can do more. You know, it's it's just whatever that thing is you're passionate about. That's that's a great answer, and my feedback on that would be it, it feels good to do good for others. Yeah, yeah. There is this natural high you get when you do something nice for someone else and you see the reaction, the genuine like love, respect, uh, appreciation that they feel for whatever you do for them. And you feel a high. You do feel good. It's like this head rush you get out of nowhere. It's this extreme emotion where you're like, oh, my God, they did something nice and you feel good. So it's something that everyone should experience at least once in their lives, doing something for someone else instead of looking for the next handout or looking for the next, what can you do for me moment? Right. So, and, you know, yeah, you, and like, you know, why do you do what you do? Um, and I, I look at Teddy Roosevelt. He had a great quote about that. It was used on parks and rec, but I knew about it before. And it was far and away. The best prize that life has to offer is the chance to work hard at work worth doing. So um, if you work hard at work worth doing, you're going to feel great at the end of the day. You know, you might be physically tired, but emotionally and spiritually and all that stuff, you're going to feel amazing at the end of the day. So, you know, I encourage you to find that passionate thing you are that you have and work hard at work worth doing, because that's going to how that's how you become a better person. And that's how you become able to make a difference in somebody's life. My whole thing that I am passionate about, I, I just don't have the capital behind me to do this is I've always wanted to do something for children where they can have a place where they can go like a rec center. And we don't have many down here in South Carolina, none that I've seen in Myrtle Beach, at least, where kids can go somewhere and have like a basketball court, a swimming pool, uh, like a bunch of just different activities, just like a park on the outside, a fenced in park where they can be safe and just be kids and do things. Maybe feed them lunch during the summertime, like a like a camp or something like that. I always thought that would be a good idea because I had something like that when I was a kid. And it got me out the house. It got me active. It taught me how to shoot a bow and arrow and things like that. And there were instructors that came down. It was basically like a day camp where you didn't even have to have any kind of membership. You just showed up and they accepted everybody. It was such a good feeling. You know, and then maybe there. So I was I thought about that when I moved to this area. There's actually a place called Center of Hope here in Weatherford that does that in the summers. They provide free meals for kids. They call it Camp Hope. They provide meals for these kids so that they can have something during the eat. They meet in different areas of the city. Anybody can show up. It doesn't matter your income or anything along those lines. You just got to meet a certain age requirement. Um, they do it in city parks. So maybe that's there's an organization you just don't know of yet that has that. Or maybe if it's building a park or something like that, you can start a Facebook group to maybe 
you know, present to the city council or something to do along those lines. So there's something you can do. The capital issue is not an issue. It's a matter of if you're passionate about it, you're going to find a way to do it. Um, and so maybe it's you know, finding other people, which I know other people suck, but uh, well, they do. You know, <laughs> you know, but finding other people who are passionate about that same thing and then being able to form a group who will lobby and, and institute for that so that you can have something like that for your city if it doesn't have it. Um, you know, uh, that's that's a way to go about it. You're not spending any capital. You're creating a Facebook group and you're asking people, hey, we want to see this for our city. Let's 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 talk about it. And how do we go about it? And how do we present to our city council? Because um, I guarantee you, when you start doing that, your city is going to listen because they're, you've got enough people going, we'd like to see this happen. And then they're going to go, OK, well, we have a lot of people here who are saying this needs to happen. What do we need to do? Because if we don't, the next time we people vote for us, they might not vote for us. Um, so understand there's a lot more power that people have than they realize. And that is something that we could go about doing it and the capital be damned. Yeah, that's true. There is strength in numbers. And the more people you have on your side, no matter what it is, good or bad, you are going to get a reaction. I've always used that in retail as well. People bitch about their cell phone bills. They bitch about their TV bills. Well, cut the cord. Stop paying it. You know what will happen? The prices will drop immediately. If, if nobody bought the iPhone when the iPhone 12 comes out in September, what what happens to the next one? They're going to drop the price. Oh, please come buy this phone. We're going to cut a couple hundred bucks off it, whatever, until people come into the store to buy it. We have the power, but we want everything now. We're just we're just stupid, man. Yeah, yeah. We we can't be patient. We can't look and wait and go. Hey, let's go this route or let's do this. Um, <laughs> we we can't go. I've got I got to have this now. We can't go. Wait, 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 wait. Let's stop and think about this. Let's you know. I'm fine with waiting on this. I mean, I didn't have a smartphone until two years ago. Um, that was the first time I actually owned really? a, a smartphone. Yeah. Uh, I didn't need it. I was texting. I had a phone, a slider phone that I could text my wife and call her. I didn't really need anything else. When I got back from Africa two years ago, uh, doing some work over there, my wife said, hey, I, I got smartphones because she was working for the hospital and we got a really good deal and it made it affordable for us. And then we were able to, you know, cut, you know, our Internet and stuff like that. So pretty much everything folks folk, um, you know is our our phones now we don't you know um, because we have T-Mobile we have free Netflix I think and then we're able to afford some other things that we can watch on our phone or our iPad we use our internet at home we use our phones for that as hotspots and that's how we roll you know I mean and I mean even to this day I probably don't use the phone into its full function like I should but it's because I don't I'm more majority using it for texting calling and then when i need a map to look up where i gotta go perform my next wedding so that's pretty much it yeah that's pretty much what i use it for too i use it for talk text i use it as my uh um my gps and my porn box that's pretty much what it is that's exactly what i use this thing for it's nothing else and a lot of business because we uh as the podcast grows we've been conducting a lot more business on there and it's starting to get a little hard to keep up with so sure that will be a good problem to have yeah always if you anyway if you have to go, all right, well, let me see as I'm growing, it, what is that next step for me? How do I how do I continue with the, the thing that I enjoy doing? I want it to still be passionate. I don't want it to be a job. How do I continue this going forward? You know, and that's, that's the important part. Yeah, that's where it does become sort of a chore, um, just basically finding that balance because after a while, things become expected of you and then other opportunities take place. And you're like, if I don't take this opportunity, this may not ever come back around again. 
and you kind of put yourself in positions where you're doing things that you necessarily don't want to do, but you feel like you have to do. And that's where it becomes a job. Yeah, because it really, once again, if it pulls you away from being passionate, is it worth it to begin with? That's that's what I always have to look at. Yeah, could I have gone and done other things and made more money at it? Yeah, I could have, but I wasn't passionate about it. It wasn't worth it for my good mental health to do yeah. that. Whereas here, I'm able to make that balance. And so, you know what? It sounds like a good opportunity, but I'm going to pass on it because it's not what is good for me. I mean, I've, there's been lots of jobs that, I mean, I had an opportunity to be a railroad conductor, which would have been a Ooh, good money. money. Oh, yeah. But <sighs> most of the time, I'm a family guy. I, I enjoy my wife. I enjoy my son. I enjoy spending time with them. It, it, as we talked about it, the amount of money worth my absence for our aspect. So I said no. You know, with people like, can't believe you said no to a conductor job. That's an amazing job. Well, great. But you know what? My family is more important than the money, you know? Um, but that's just me. I can't say that for everybody else. But I, I, I do say, look at your principles. Look at what it is. If it's not going to be what you're comfortable with, don't do it at the end of the day. Makes perfect sense because I think losing my previous job was probably the best thing long term that's happened to this family in a long time because I was the guy who was always at work. I mean, the job that I got now, I'm making half the money that I was making there, but we made up for it in other areas. Now I got more time to do other things, more different projects, and it makes up for it. And I got more time at home, which is nice, and I, and I work closer to home. So I get what you're saying. A lot of people just don't feel that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and they're not, and like we talked about, they're not patient. They're not going to willing to wait. So, oh, my gosh, I got to take this next one because if I don't, what's going to happen? Um, which, I mean, honestly, I know you were going through a lot, but I was really impressed with your patience uh, and finding what I want to find the right job. You know, so um, that's hard to do. I think that shows incredible growth on your aspect of being able to, and then, uh, I know you, you talked about the two jobs and, um, you know, you say, you know what, being closer to home, I know it's not going to make as much as the other one, but this is what's best for my family and being able to, that's, that's an incredibly adult logical thing that you chose, which I think is really exciting. And I'm proud of you for making that decision um, because, you know, you did what you felt was right for not only for you, but for your family. So kudos on you, my man. I appreciate you, man, because the one job was a work at home, and the other one was the one that I have to leave the house for, but it's still close, very, very close to home. And it's just like that's a guaranteed thing. I don't have to worry about being outsourced or anything like that. So you just kind of make the logical decision. I could have worked in my underwear. I could have worked without a T-shirt on. But you know what? Leaving the house and having something that you know is going to be there in five to ten years is is definitely the more logical choice. But let me bring it back to you because I want to ask you a, a very important question that I didn't get to ask you last time. And you, you do a lot of things for a lot of people. Have you ever been taken advantage of and how have you dealt with it? If, if that's even the case. Um, nothing pops off into the top of my head. Um, I mean, I tend to be pretty thorough um, when it comes to helping people. But, you know, there's stuff happens, you know, and it, it's just part of it the only thing you can do is you can learn and hopefully that person uh, is still helped by it in some way, shape or form. And then you learn how to maybe do something different going forward. That's all you can do really. Um, I mean, it does you no good to get mad or upset or whatever. Just look at it as a learning process and move forward from there. Because if not, you're going to start stressing and you're going to lose passion for what you're doing when you can just go, you know what? 
I need to learn how to do this better. I need to learn how to maybe spot some things that um, were indicators that I missed and then be better at it next, next time and to make sure that the right people are getting the right thing. That's all you can do, really. Yeah, and you you don't want to make you a worse person either because if someone takes advantage of you, that might shut you off from doing the good things you're doing to help others. Exactly. So you, you just have to learn to move forward and just be willing to go, you know what? All right, so somebody might have got something from me for that one, but, you know, there's nothing I can do about it. Hopefully, maybe even in that aspect of you doing that, maybe you change that person's life and maybe you make a difference in them and go forward from there. You know, that's all you can do. That's all you can hope for, realistically. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned to me in in, in Messenger, uh, you looked at being a teacher. Mm -hmm. And you said that you saw how little you can do, that it basically turned you off. Can you explain that scenario for the listeners? Because one thing about Facebook Messenger and just Messenger in general is I don't like talking too much about things that I think would be a good topic or something that would be interesting for other people to hear about. And this is where I was like, oh, man, this is good stuff because I want to know more. What's the interview process like and how has being a teacher changed from your perspective having, you know, looked into becoming one? Yeah. So, um, you know, in the state of Texas, they have a, a kind of a, a fast track program for teachers because there's a need for teachers. So if you have a college degree, you can do this Texas uh, uh, this program. Uh, the one I was with was Texas Teachers, but there's other ones uh, along those lines where basically what you do is they give you the information, you learn about it, you take some tests, uh, then you take the test for the subject you want to be certified in. So I actually took and passed the test to be certified in teaching secondary social studies, history of any kind, uh, economics, things like that. Any social studies that are, are required, you can do that. And then um, you had to do some observations. You can watch teachers do things. I went to a middle school and a high school, watch those uh, teachers do their thing. And then um, you take the, you know, there's more tests to take. And then you, I got to the point essentially where I could choose to uh, spend a year as a teacher getting paid. And then by the end of that, I would be certified. Um, you'd have somebody watching over you. Um, and the, Or you could do like a 14 week program where you're not paid, but you're done faster you know, to be certified. As I was looking at the process and talking with teachers and seeing what they were dealing, dealing with and stuff like that, I was like, you know what? There's so much bureaucracy and garbage that they have to deal with. They can't be teachers. In the state of Texas, we have the STAR test, which is the standardized test. Um, teachers are teaching that. They're not teaching kids to learn. They're teaching kids to pass the test. Because if not, then the funding gets, you know, it's all this stuff that's just terrible <laughs> that um, they're doing. They can't, they can't do things anymore they can't discipline they can't do i mean one teacher i asked him said so with discipline he goes we don't do it i was like so he says the best we can do is send them to the office and if they send them back then that's what we have to deal with um i said well, what about fighting what if kids think? He says we can't even break up fights in school because if a teacher breaks up fights and the kid gets hurt they can school the school and i mean it's it's a mess i mean so I, the fact that I go in and I talk to six, uh, every six weeks to these kids and you know, I always make sure to let these kids know, look, your teachers are doing this job, not because the pay is great, because the pay sucks. And they're doing this job, not because it's so awesome. They're doing the, the bureaucracy and everything else about it sucks. You need to appreciate these teachers because they're doing this because they, they love you guys and they want what's best for you. That's why teachers do the job. 
They don't do it for the pay or they don't do it because, you know, it's easy. It's not. It's garbage for what some of these people have to deal with. But yet, which I I was like, I can't deal with this. I'm not doing it. I'll be burned out in a year, you know. So <laughs> the fact that you have teachers who have lasted so long doing this job, you know, is a pretty incredible aspect. So that's one thing I definitely do when I do these presentations and make sure they understand what these teachers actually go through so they can maybe stop being a little prick to their teachers sometimes. Did you see the video? We talked about it on our previous podcast where the school called the police on like a six-year-old kid and the police came and arrested the kid because they were being disruptive in class. Did you Mm -hmm. see that one? I didn't see the video, but I did look it up and I read, because I mean, it's Florida, so they post everything. So the reason why there's Florida Man is because Florida has it where you post the infractions immediately into the news so that everybody can know. Uh, Other states don't necessarily have that. So that's why Florida Man exists, because Florida just puts all their stuff out there. This is how weird we (laughs) know this shit, you know? Um, But, (laughs) yeah, Florida, gotta love it. Uh, But the the point of, of it was, once again, the reason why, because if a child becomes disruptive to the point of where they could physically harm themselves or someone else, the immediate thing is to call the police. Because once again, it's that idea, if a teacher puts their hand on a child just to calm them down or whatever, and that child says, this person hurt me, guess who gets in trouble? Exactly. The teacher, the school, everything else. And so guess what happens? You call the police. And of course, the police come out. They have to do something. You know, they, I mean, depending on the state and where you live, and if, if it's a decent police officer who has, a, you know, a good understanding, they can maybe talk the kid down, calm them down, help them control the kid. But, you know, for the most part, um, I think it's a little extreme. Um, like I said, unless the kid is, vi- is visibly being abusive physically to adults and other kids and they're a danger to them, then I would say you would handcuff them to calm them down, but you don't take them in and say they're arrested. You do that to calm them down to make sure they don't hurt anyone. And then once they've calmed down, you release them to the school and you take them to someplace safe. Because, you know, what it goes back to then, okay, then you didn't do anything because my kid was, you know, my kid got slapped and hit and punched by this other kid who was misbehaving and he didn't do anything. Now, guess what? The teacher, the teacher got to deal with that other end of the aspect of it, you know? So the teacher's in a no win situation. So, I can understand why they would just call the police so that we can have them take care of it this way. Um, it's not ideal. Um, it needs to be, hey, parents, stop being jerks. Let your kids be disciplined by other people because they know what they're doing. They have an idea of how to handle it. Part of, part of being a teacher is learning child psychology and learning how people learn and learning how to interact with people. We're taught that in the, in the process. Um, and so these people know what they're doing, um, when it comes to handling kids, let them do that and let them discipline your kid. Uh, cause guess what? Your kid probably gets needs a good spanking every now and then. Um, I have no problem with my kid. I spanked him. I got spanked. I understood when I did something wrong. Now the worst was when, when in my family, you always want to get spanked by your mom, by my mom. My mom would spank you and be done. My dad would give you a 45 minute conversation of why he's disappointed in you. And you would feel emotionally just wrecked. <laughs> then you were banking on top of that because he would do a CEO, sit at the desk, talk about what you know, I mean. It was 45 minutes. And then, all right, it's time for the belt. And you're just like, oh, my God. As if I don't feel bad enough already, now I got to get the belt on too. And he had one belt that he kept just for spanking that was like, you know, four inches wide and, and you know, 
half an inch thick, just Oof. pure leather. Yeah. And I mean, he never did it. I mean, it was never to the point where, like, you know, he was actually hurting me. But still, it was that idea of you took the spanking and the pain and to understand that. But, yeah, with my mom, you took the spanking. It was over and done. Moved on. No, Dad, it, you felt emotionally just wrecked uh, before you even got the spanking. So um, we we would always tell mom. So she she would spank me first, you know. You know so, but, you know, let, that's, I think that's the thing is we're, we're too afraid to discipline our children. And I'm not saying everybody needs to be spanking. I think we need to have a, an idea of what best works for ch- our children. You know, um, with my son, he's pretty stubborn and hard-hitting like I was. So there was, I didn't spank him all the time, but there were times where he needed that spanking. And it wasn't necessarily that I hit him hard or anything. It was that awareness of, hey, look, don't do this. There's consequences for this. To understand, okay, if I continue to do this, this is the consequence. Um to make it tactile and real. And then other times, there'd be times where we would just talk about things and why'd you do this? What was going on? What was going through your head? Because it wasn't necessarily a spankable offense, but it was something that needed to be addressed. So because once again, it goes back to the parents learning how to connect and communicate with their kids and how to best take care of them. And it's okay to ask for help. It's okay to get that help. If a teacher tells you, I mean, what happens when, you know, used to teachers would say your child's doing this and parents like, okay, great. We'll figure out how to handle it at home. Now, your child does this. Not my baby. My baby would never do something like that, you know? She must be lying. I mean, as a teacher, who wants to deal with that? You know? I I mean... That's why there's no teachers anymore. Yeah. Yeah, That's why teachers are falling out faster than they can get a man. Because they don't want to deal with that garbage, you know? Um, It's garbage. It sucks. It sucks, you know? I mean, so uh, the, the people who are teachers, I tip my hat to them. They're incredible people. The fact that they're able to do it and handle it, there are stronger people than I am. So, you know, good on them. I don't think you're going to see a thing like legacy teachers anymore. The ones that, like, you know, like you were a kid and then your kids were taught by that same woman and then your grandkids are taught by that same woman or man. You're not going to see that 30-plus year teacher anymore in a school system. It's just not going to happen. There's no, no way no. they're going to deal with this shit. Yeah, most of them are going to get to the retirement age and dip out because, you know, the one thing about teachers, when you get to retirement, that it is pretty good deal. It's a pretty good hookup on the retirement aspect of it. But um, the amount of crap you have to deal with, get there, oh, you know, is it worth it? You know, but yeah, like I said, they're going to get to the point where they can retire. They're going to do it, and that's it. So that's the closest you're going to have to a legacy. Not people who do it for 30 or 40 years of, um, you know, going, hey, this I'm doing it because I love it, you know. I'm mm-hmm. not going to see that. It's going to be, all right, retirement age, I'm done. I'm out. I'm going to collect that pension check, and I'm going to live live good um, and have good health care because uh, teachers do get good health care you know, in retirement as well as good pension. But, you know, it, you're not going to see those people who stay just because they love it. Well, they deserve it now. Mm-hmm. I actually... I actually read a very interesting article in some random, you know, going down a rabbit hole nights uh, where basically there was a theory where somebody proposed no more physical school locations and maybe have it all virtual because that would cut down on the child bullying and all the other nonsense that's going on nowadays. Do you see that being something feasible now that every household in America has a computer or uh, someone to connect? Uh, no, because... Even though we like to say we're more connected with the internet, we're not. We're socially not connected. The, um, that, that's actually one of the things we talked about today with bullying is that 
Um, 80 per, uh, 80% of communication is nonverbal. What we see, how we interact with people. You know, I feel like you and I have a good relationship, but we're, we're, we've missed out on 20, uh, 80% of how to develop our relationship because mm -hmm. we've only talked through texting and voice. You know, I don't see your face. I don't know how you react to things. I don't know if you're flipping me off right now just because, uh, you know, of my relationship aspect, which I don't see if you do or not. You know? Never. But, I respect but, everybody. Yeah, I know you do. I'm just, I like to have fun. But, uh -huh. you know, there's that aspect of it where we're missing out on those things because we don't have that personal communication and connection. We need that as humans. As much as even the most antisocial person, we still need some form of connection. That's how we were designed and created. Um, and so figuring out what that is is important. Um, I think, you know, yeah, going virtual, that sounds great. But, like, my kid is homeschooled. Um, and, you know, we find ways to get him connected because he needs that. He's a social person and he wants to connect with other people. He desires that. The only reason why he's homeschooled is because this regular school system is too slow for him. He's He gets smart and he, he does stuff and he understands it. And then he sits there and then he starts mouthing off and doing whatever because he gets bored. So now we're able, he's in eighth grade and we're able to teach him things like physics and chemistry. Well, I say we, my wife handles that aspect of it. I do more history and English stuff. Um, because my wife is pretty damn smart. Um, and she was doing college courses at 12. You know? oh, Jesus. So, yeah, my wife is pretty freaking smart. So she does physics with them. She does chemistry with them. Um, you know, high school, you know, level stuff to keep him engaged so that he can do the work and be challenged. Um, you can't do that in a regular school system. So I see the pros of it because we're able to do stuff online and other stuff, but you know, he really requires and he needs, and we all do that connection with people at the end of the day. Um, you know, we need to learn how to interact with people and how to handle people who are um, not behaving appropriately and how to deal with the conflict in life. Because life at the end of the day has conflict. I don't care who you are, how nice of a person you are, how good a person you are, there's going to be conflict. How do you deal with that? How do you handle it? And how do you make sure that you are dealing with it in a proper way? Um, if you never interact with people, you're never going to know how to deal with those things. So I, the, the, I understand the theory, but I think it's bullshit, you know, at the end of the day, because we need people, we need that connection. We need to learn how to deal with adversity and how to handle it. I agree 100%. And I feel like we're in the same wavelengths here with the whole conflict thing. But before we get there, I, I, I just wanted to, to kind of add on to what you were saying about people needing that kind of interaction. Because there's just something about looking someone in the eye and talking to them face to face, getting their live reactions, seeing how they are, how they relate to you and a lot of the good stuff. Because it, it does build that personal interaction that you do need. Uh, something about hugging someone you haven't seen in a while, like a physical hug, probably feels great. Now, I hate hugging people. I don't like touching other people. But, I mean, I do understand how that transfer of energy is a good thing for others. Like just to feel someone else's warmth. I understand it. Not for me, but I get it. So I'm not I'm not close minded to that whole thing. But you know, <clears throat> I mean, I like, me, yeah. If I ever meet you, a big old fat hug for me because that's what's gonna happen right now. So it's oh. <laughs> <laughs> I got a nice big old bottle of hand sanitizer that I'll use because I, I don't know. Like I'm I'm just that kind of guy. I just I just have to like be kind of like close off, I guess. But. You know what time it is. We've been we've been talking yeah. for about an hour and a half now. You know what time it is. I, I gave you a fair warning before we started yeah. recording tonight. 
Yeah, that's why we're doing it, man. Let's go. I, I mean, I'm here to answer questions. That's what I'm doing, man. Oh yeah. So I scoured the internet because I like I like to read about religion, and I'm not a big religious guy. Obviously, I'm not. I, I still haven't found that answer in life or the question in life, whatever I'm looking for. I haven't found what I'm looking for yet. Right. So I scoured right. the internet for some questions for you because you are the man of God. So yeah, here's some yeah. here's here's some good ones for you. Okay. Okay. So why hasn't God intervened on the tyrants throughout history to prevent far worse atrocities than in the Old Testament days in which he did intervene? Well, I think. Part of that is, um, <coughs> pardon me, uh, the eight hours is starting to kick in on my voice. Um, oh, I, oh, mine cut out a few times as well, my friend. Very good. Um, so the idea uh, is that at the same time, you know, I think we talked about this earlier. Um, there are things that we ascribe to God that maybe God didn't do. So, uh, you know, once again, we didn't, we weren't there in the Old Testament. We weren't there when dinosaurs roamed the earth. We weren't there. We can't really say that those are things that are happening. Do I think they could have? Yes. Now, at the same time, it becomes that idea of if we let God intervene on everything that's bad, what are we going to do? We're not. We're never going to learn. We're ne- it's kind of like it's that idea of if, if something happens to your child and you always step in, what's going to happen to your child when they become an adult? Yeah. Now, how, how are they going to handle conflict? They're not. They're going to try to run to mommy or daddy or, or whatever, and they're, they're never going to be able to handle that. So we have to. We have to ascribe the fact. You know, I think the uh, calling God Father, I think, is important because we see a lot of biblical um, things that happen that we see the principles of parenthood in them. And the way He treats us is like, you know what? You need to learn how to handle this. You need. To, I'm not. I can't step in for you all the time because you need to learn how to deal with this. You need to learn how to understand what these things are so you can know how to be better from them. I mean, are these people terrible? Yes. Do we learn from them and become better after them? I would say yes. You know, um, I'm not saying so we, we all need to praise, you know, despots and dictators, but we learn from them and we grow from them and we become better because of it from the after effects. Just like if you learn how to handle conflict, you become better. So I, I can't say that, you know, God doesn't intervene, but I think now it's a more personal level than a, um, uh, a national level, you know, because we, then it's like, well, God's on our side. No, he's on our side, which is all garbage. God doesn't care about nations. He cares about people. And I think that's why we're seeing um, the fact that we're all called, we're called his people and he wants to step in for us individually rather than nationally. And so we need to learn how to connect with whatever, however we see our higher power. We need to learn to connect with that in a way, not to where, God, this is happening. Why don't you fix it? To go, God, what are you trying to teach me? How, how do I learn from this so that I can be better for it? Okay. Now, I did forget to hit on my point with conflict because that's something I did totally agree with you on because it's, it's, it's inevitable. You cannot avoid it. We've tried so hard. My wife and I have tried so hard to avoid conflict in life. Uh, she doesn't leave the house very often. She, unless like we all leave together because she hasn't, you know, like she just doesn't work. She takes care of the household and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But like she had conflict and, and I'm sure you've heard this story because we talked about it before when she was taking the kid to the bus stop and some yeah. random in the neighborhood was giving her shit. And it's like, she doesn't ask for this. She doesn't look for it. And it's like, you can live 
the most docile life possible and somehow conflict will find you. It's like, it's like some kind of cosmic entity that brings it to you. It's like, you have to experience this in your life. There's no possible way to avoid it. Is that something you believe in that maybe it's, it's just destiny. Like you have to have shit to deal with in life. You can't yeah, just yeah. avoid it. You, you're always going to have something in life that's going to be frustrating or, or difficult, whether it be conflict, uh, loss, tragedy of some sort you're gonna have to deal with those things and i think that's where you know once again we ask well, god why did you do this who says god did it you know um you know shit happens we have to learn how to deal with it and move forward um we can't ascribe everything to god or the devil um because here's a profound thing you're not that important you know i mean if the, if the devil is doing something to you uh, it's probably not really because you're not that important and i mean God's not sitting there all the time going, ooh, let me see if the nerd is doing this or that or whatever. No, he's not doing that. He doesn't have a smite button to do that kind of stuff either. It's at the end of the day, you have to look at, okay, what are these things? Why is it happening? What are the, what are the deal? How can I maybe address it in a different way? Um, <coughs> because, um, you know, at the end of the day, the common denominator is you at some different point. You know, yeah. I mean, like, yeah. My dad says, you know, working in business, people say, oh, this happened and this happened and this happened. Well, what's the common denominator of those things? Well, you are. So maybe you need to look at figuring out what I can do different to change the situation. Um, and so that, it sounds harsh, but sometimes we have to really take a step and look at ourselves and go, all right, what, I, what can I do to change to maybe make this a different thing? You know, and so um, that's how I would go about it. But that's just me. Um, and sometimes it's good to be an asshole, but you know, I try not to be. No, it's a, it, it's very funny that you use that example because I talked to someone who was in and out of the jail system for a future podcast, and that person said the same thing, like "Why me?" And I'm like, "Well, you've been in and out of jail, you know, fifteen, sixteen times. You're always involved in these situations, so you have to t remove yourself from the things that you're doing to get put into these situations." So. There, there's a spoiler for a future podcast I got planned out, but once, yeah, like once certain things get cleared, I, I, I can post it. But that's exactly what I said. Like you are the common denominator. It's not the police. It's not other people putting you in these situations. You are putting yourself in these situations. You're the common denominator. That's exactly the same kind of thing I said to him. So, man, we're on the same wavelength here, my friend. Yeah, we are. We are. We're very simpatico. I have uh, some Moses questions for you here because. Okay. I the good stuff here. So why did Moses write in the third person in the first five books of the Old Testament? So, so <clears throat> pardon me. So, you know, at the end of the day, uh, can we say Moses wrote the books? I, I can't for sure say that. Um, so uh, at the same time, too, there are other books that people write that write in the third person because they want to give a different perspective. So um, could it be Moses told the story to see who a writer who wrote it down that's probably more likely what happened he dictated the first five books of scripture to writers who then just wrote the story um you know and so because remember yes moses was educated he was a pharaoh prince adopted and everything like that so he probably knew how to write but at the same time he wasn't trained to read and write in hebrew because he was not raised that way he was raised egyptian and so we have to go look at it from the standpoint of going, okay, this guy was raised Egyptian. He knew Egyptian. Could he probably have handled 
Hebrew? Well, probably, but it's a completely different language. And, and, and uh, the, I don't know if you've ever seen the Hebrew alphabet, but it's wild. I tried taking a semester of it, and I did not do well at all. It took me three years to get out three semesters of Spanish. So imagine how much it took me to get through a semester of Hebrew. I was That's one of the so harder lost. ones to learn. From, from what I'm told, it's one of the harder ones to learn. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. And so if I'm pretty stupid when it comes to foreign languages and I took a semester and I realized, nope, this is not for me. I'm not even doing this degree. I'm going to go to another one where I don't have to take a foreign language. Oh, yeah, I'm definitely doing that. But, you know, because, uh, I mean, I'm an idiot when it comes to the foreign language. Um, but the idea was that, you know, most likely his writing <clears throat> would not have been on a scholarly level because of how he was raised. So, therefore, it was most likely dictated. And they just repeated everything and wrote it. Moses said this or he did this or he did this. So that's why it's most likely written that way as a narrative that he dictated to Hebrew writers so that it would be, because he was an eloquent, eloquent speaker and he was an eloquent talker, even though, you know, it said he stuttered and he asked for Aaron to come, you know, um, we, which I'm like, okay, well, if you were a terrible speaker, man, you, you got some pretty good speeches in here, my brother. So I want to have that kind of terrible speaking, you know? Uh, yeah. And so, so at the end of the day, I think as, as, the scripture was being written, people were writing down what he was saying. So technically he wrote it because he dictated it. And then it was just written down by others. So he had the world's first transcriptionist, basically. Pretty much. I would, I would say that that would be a, a good way to look at it. All right. Well, here's another Moses one. And if this goes along the same vein, pardon me, but I thought this was kind of interesting as well. Uh, how could Moses write about his own death and beyond? In, and I'm going to butcher this word. Deuteronomy 34, 10 11. All right. Let me look. Because uh, I don't remember the Bible off the top of my head. I'm going to look it up real quick. Oh, that's uh, fine. Let's see. Because I thought that was interesting just seeing that, where he's like, he was writing about his own death and afterwards. I don't know if he was kind of like premonitioning. Or so, do, maybe, uh, do you know what chapter? Uh, 34, 10. 34, 10. All right. Yeah, no prophet has arisen again in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. So I, I think this is an example here of the dictators writing about the past, writing about who Moses was, kind of closing the chapter. Because Deuteronomy is the last book. And so, um, it, you know, he was unparalleled for all the signs and wonders the Lord sent to him, to Pharaoh, and for all the mighty acts and powerful deeds that Moses performed in the sight of Israel. Um, you know, because it's talking about Joshua taking over. So I'd say at this point, Moses wasn't necessarily writing scripture. They were closing the chapter on this book. This is the last book of the Torah, um, which the Jews um, focus on. Um, they focus on the first five books, the book of the law, the book of Torah. And so Deuteronomy is the last one. And so this is kind of like where you go into um, Joshua, which kind of takes on the rest of the part where Joshua is now taking over and leads the people into the promised land. So this is kind of that transition to this next book saying, Moses got us this far. Joshua is going to take us the rest of the way. And that's how they transition it. So it's just not kind of like cut off what happened, you know, the next book, kind of like an idea. And Jesus, if only Hollywood writing was this good, we'd have better movies that win freaking Oscars than the shit that we got <laughs> this year. Oh, my God. 
I mean, if nothing else, if you look at the Bible as literature, there's some amazing literature in this book. You know, they, there's some amazing poems. It's amazing. I mean, hey, you ever want to get internet in the mood? It's the Song of Solomon, man. I'm telling you right now, my brother. There's some <laughs> Yeah, you know, it, it's like, woo, hello. All right. You know, I appreciate that. So, uh, you know, there's there's some good storytelling and literature. So if nothing else, um, there's some good analogies. There's some good things that we can learn from it. So if you know, even if you don't look at the Bible as God's holy word, as the infallible scripture, if you if you can nothing else appreciate it for the literature that it is, the different yeah. types of literature in there and respect it, if nothing else, for that. Man, it goes to help making the world a better place. Trust me, man. I would love to get into this, and I would love to be like like a child of God, or I would like to be a guy that goes to church on Sundays, has a church group they hang out with afterwards, have a few drinks, a few laughs, just have some kind of community. I would love to have that, but I refuse. And I would think that if there's a God out there, I would think he would respect my choice. Like, if hey, if this guy is not in it 100%, heart, mind, and soul, he's not going to do it. So when I do, and if that ever does happen, where I have that moment of clarity in my life, where I give myself to God, it's genuine. A yeah, lot of people yeah. aren't like that. So I would like to think that he would respect, or, or she, or it, or whatever God identifies as, because you don't know anymore. Yeah. If God is cisgender or not, we, we don't know. But I would like to think he would appreciate that. And, and that's the whole point. You know, it's, it's about, he never says you have to do this. At the end of the day, he wants you to choose him. It's not about do this because I said so. That's the whole purpose Jesus came, so that you could have the choice. Before that, in most of the time, the Old Testament, it was you had to do these things and sacrifice and you know be perfect to get the favor of God. Now it's that matter of that, that, that stigma, that sin is taken away because of the cross and the death. So therefore, now it's just a matter of if you choose. And if you choose, great. If you don't, okay, that's your choice. And so, um, you know, uh, it, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, he, it's, it's not that he wants you to not choose him because he tries to give you the incentive. But at the same time, he's not going to make you not choose. Um, it, it's your choice at the end of the day. And if there's no hell, I'm OK with that, because guess what? I lived a good life. Hopefully I made a decent impact on the world and made it a little bit better and a little bit more positive by following the principles that are written in a book that turns out not to be real. I'm okay with that. Um, I would rather do that um, than, you know, have nothing. But at the same time, it doesn't mean just because someone doesn't follow this book doesn't mean they're a terrible person. They can do the same exact things as me and not believe in God, leave a positive impact. Great. No big deal. I don't fault them for that whatsoever, you know. Um, but I'm not going to disrespect someone because they don't believe. I'm just going to say, hey, look, you do what you do. I'm going to do what I do. And hopefully we can both make the world a positive, better place. Where I have a problem is churches and people who think, you know, you're no good because you don't believe in God. And that's not what Jesus did. That's not who he was. He hung out with the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the sinners. We've lost that. We don't, we don't treat people with respect, whether they believe us or not. You know, I mean, we see that he treats Romans with respect. He treats um, Ethiopians with respect. There was, there was people of different nationalities that the Jews hated, that he treated with respect. Um, unfortunately, we don't, we've lost sight of that as a Christian faith. And we really need to return to that. Because, you know, if you and I do the same things, we, are, we have a lot of the same mindsets and everything. We have different ide ideologies on how we see God. 
but we're both trying to be positive and trying to make a difference in the world. Who cares? You know? Exactly. We, you know, I mean, I would count you as a friend, as someone that I can lean on and talk to and, you know, uh, and deal with, even though we don't have the same biblical beliefs. We're, we're doing something to make the world a better place. What's wrong with that? There's nothing wrong with that. And that's why I love the podcast platform, because you could have a long form conversation with someone across the world via Skype or whatever Discord, whatever channel people use as their outlet. And the thing about it is, like, you can talk to people and you can have conversations that you may not totally 100 percent agree with, but you can learn something and walk away with respect for that person's opinion. And a lot of people just can't do that. And that's what we're missing in society today. You've got people going out there saying, I believe in this. No, you're wrong. And then you got people going out there and rioting other people's ideologies and their beliefs with their tribe. And they've got weapons and they're fighting and they're destroying their own townships and cities and areas that they live in and sleep in and breathe in. And if their children go to school in because they don't believe what someone else believes in. It, yeah. it just doesn't make any sense to me, dude. Yeah. Look at Syria. I mean, oh, God. Part, yeah, I mean, and, and that, that whole thing is, I don't believe in this. You don't believe in this. I mean, it, it's, it's a mess. Um, and so, because we don't listen anymore, we don't learn, we don't talk, we don't discuss. And then at the end of the day, we don't learn to respect each other. You know, I mean, that's the problem today is we get so caught up of I believe in this or I do this, then then we go, OK, well, why? Well, I don't know. And then people get offended when we ask why. And I'm, I ask why, because I want to understand, you know, I, not because I'm trying to be a dick. But because I want to understand what you're going through and yep. see what it is and learn from it. You know, I'm, I, I, so if I question things, it's not to be mean or say you don't know what you're doing. It's because I want to understand and learn from those things. But yes, we can't even do that because people get upset. Exactly. And, and I did ask this question to somebody and, and, and I asked you this and I kind of made a statement on the last podcast. But I feel like it's pertinent enough to bring up again, just really quick here was when I was working with a, a customer who is like a, a, a pastor in a church live at the moment, they were like, you know, like just, just doing it every single Sunday. And I asked him this question. I was like, honestly, because religion came up and I told him my beliefs exactly as I'm talking to you and everyone else out there that are listening right now. And I asked him an honest question. I was like, listen, I live a good life, treat my wife with respect, my kids, you know, I've, I've been there, haven't done anything wrong. I treat people the way I expect to be treated, yada, 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 and good person. If I don't accept the Lord Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, will I make it into heaven living a good life if heaven happens to be a thing? They said, no, you have to say that prayer. And that's the only way you get in. No matter how good you live your life, it's not good enough unless you accept them. So, yeah. I, was, so I was like, really? Because if that's the way it is, no matter how good I live my life, if I have to like basically like give my obedience over to someone else and I don't really necessarily want to be there. It kind of sounds like slavery to me, you know, like you're, you're basically saying, okay, you are my Lord worshipers or my savior. You know, you're the emperor, you're the King. Can I get in please? Like I'm begging to get in at that point. No, I, I did good enough. That's the way I feel. And I understand that. And we, and you know, I, I see your CT, it kicks in like mine. Cause we talked about this last time, um, yep. you know, about how at the end of the day, it, it, you know, I can't make that choice for you. It's up to you. It has to be real. Um, you don't do it because it's, well, I want to have what I, what I like to call people did it sometimes because they want that fire insurance. Well, then I don't have to go to hell. You know, to me, that's not, that's not real. It, that's the part of faith that we just have to trust is that 
there's something bigger than us. We don't know it. We can't see it. And we just have to believe. Um, and th- and I know that's a crappy answer because it's like, well, that doesn't prove anything. But that's the point sometimes is we just have to have, you know, I like to liken it to, I love Indiana Jones movies, except for the fourth oh, one. Yeah. Oh, that never but, happened, by the way. Yeah, it, what, what, what fourth movie? I don't know what you're talking about. Um, <laughs> the, the Last Crusade, where he's on the quest to, to get the, the, the grail for his dad who's been shot. He's at the leap from the lion's head, and it's a matter of faith. He just steps out, and it's, he doesn't know that there's a bridge there. You can't see it of the optical illusion. He just knows, you know what? They say to do this, and I do it, and then he finds this bridge. And it's like, okay, I can cross this cavern. Uh, because of this, um, we have. There's going to be times where we just have to go and do that thing, um, and and trust. Um, in 20 years, I've gone. I've seen some good things. I've seen some bad things. I've been in churches. Churches have burned me a lot. I'm not, you know, necessarily a big fan of actual churches right now. Um, I might be back in a church one day, but I'm taking a break. I need a little break from some of the church stuff. But that doesn't change how I view God and how He's been faithful in what I've done. And so it, for me, it's not about the church. If it was, then God would be ditched a long time ago. For me, it's about the relationship I've had with him, what he's done for me, how I see those things. Um, some people say they're coincidences or, you know, whatever. But for me, I see because of that relationship and now I see it, that's how I view God. Um, as, uh, you know, a father who's been firm and disciplined, but at the same time, very loving and caring. And so... It has you. You have to find what that is for you, and it might take a long journey to do that. But as long as you're willing to learn and listen, at the end of the day, it, it's that idea of great. You know, you come to that choice, mm-hmm. but you've done it on your own. And like you said, you want it to be genuine. I think that's awesome because that's going to make you immediately a better Christian than 99.9% of the people out there. Because most people do it for fire insurance or as a status symbol. Yep. They don't oh, do it yeah. because it's genuine and real. And that, to me, makes you a better person already. Because when you, if you ever do come to that point where you decide you want to be that follower of Christ, the, the person who is, you're going to instantly be better off than most people out there. Yeah, I just, I just need that reason. But let's get back to these rap because, because I got so many of these things and we've right. gone. Very we've already gone pretty long, and that's the beauty of this thing. You lose time so fast. All right, so if God is all knowing, why did God ask Adam where he was and whether he had eaten the fruit in Genesis? All right, so you know your child does something wrong, and you ask them anyway. Why do you ask them? To, to basically test their integrity at that point to see if they're going to lie or not. Right, and that's what God was doing. He knew that they ate from the tree of good and evil. He wanted to see how they would respond. And, of course, you know, it was that idea of, well, let's see how, let's see how they handle this. Did they, did they say, you know what, we ate from the tree, and um, we're sorry, God, what can we do? No, they didn't. They lied. Got Adam passed it on to Eve. Eve passed it on to the snake. And it was just, well, you know, well, uh, uh, that woman that you gave me, she, she gave me the fruit. And, you know, well, this told me to do it. And I mean, and of course, you know, the snake is, is whatever. And, but that it's, it's that idea of, yeah, he knew. He wanted to give them the chance to make amends right there. And they didn't do it. Kind of like we do with our kids. when We know they've done something wrong. And yet we still want them to have that moment of integrity. Yeah, I did it. I'm sorry. Can I, what can I do? What I, you know, those are the things 
that I think why God does those things. Um, because we're seeing parenthood in action, um, that how we can be a good parent. And that's what he wanted to be, is a good parent for us. Makes sense. Now, I have a two-part question for you here. Okay. Okay, so <clears throat> these two questions fit the same. So if God is all just, how can he possibly punish mankind for what Adam did? And also, if God is all just, why does he punish and kill massive amounts of people throughout the Bible for the sins of one? <laughs> so, uh, at the end of the day, you have to look at it as this. Um, <clears throat> sorry. The, uh, oh, no. that's fine. Yeah. No. Uh, so, the, the people um, that we're dealing with <laughs> in the stories, sometimes are they using God to justify something that they want to do? I mean, how many times have we seen terrible things happen and, and people use God to justify it? Uh, let's look at the Crusades, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, the Crusades were a terrible time. Oh, well, we don't need these infidels in Jer Jerusalem, so let's, because God wants us to, let's do that. You know, uh, who says that's the case? We Once again, it goes back to the idea that we ascribe things to God that maybe not are necessarily something that he would do or deal with. Um, because, you know, you look at it, Israel came through, they they wiped everything out. Who writes history? The victors write history, right? At the end yes. of the day. So um, who says they don't use God to justify some of the things they did? You know, I mean, because we see it throughout history where things happen and we say, well, God's on our side. So we're going to do the Crusades or we're going to do the Spanish Inquisition or we're going to do these other things. And um, terrible things happened in the name of God. And God's going, whoa, hey, uh, what the heck here? This is not me at all. This is not who I am. Why are y'all using my name like this? You know, and yeah. and um, I imagine that's what God's doing. He's sitting up, up there going, dear God, stop using my name like this. This is not what I, I want for you. Um, so at the end of the day, I, I have to look at that and go, um, you know, and then other people like to say um, God was trying to remove as much sin a.k.a. cancer as possible from his people, knowing that they were going to struggle and they were going to fumble and fall. And so, um, which to me, I find um, dubious at best as a justification because, once again, it's that idea of we need to learn how to struggle and handle, handle those things. And the Israelites did a terrible job of it, um, thus walking around the desert for 40 years when you had an opportunity to go into Israel the first time. Um, they just... I mean, if they, they were in the presence of God and God said, go take this land. Um, well, there's giants and there's walled cities and stuff. Um, you just had a God who parted the Red Sea and got you out of slavery with 10 plagues. Uh, but no, this is too tough. We don't want to handle it. Uh, it was like a bunch of millennials, you know. I don't know. Mm -hmm. it was hard. <laughs> yeah. you know? uh, so Good we, Yeah. We just see this throughout history in the Old Testament of, how Israel struggles and fails and struggles and fails. And, and God is trying to be patient with them. But as that parent, he has to punish them for the things that he does. And so where I think we really see God is in the punishment of the Israelites, not in the justification of what they did uh, in some of these things. I think where we see the true God is him going, guys, stop being, okay, you're going to be stupid. Let me do this. And then the people go, oh, God, we're so sorry. Okay, yeah. All right, let's not do it again. And then they do it again. I mean, you know, it's just, it's kind of like dealing with that child that you try to discipline and you try to help them to get that thing. And they're just not quite getting it. And you get frustrated with it. 
Um, I think mm -hmm. that's where we see the true God. And then the rest of it is sometimes saying, hey, God was with us. And um, so we killed everyone. Um, pretty sure God created everything. And I don't think he wants you to kill everyone and everything. Because then it's saying that his creation isn't good. Which has never happened. We see that he said everything was good when he created it. The only time he said it wasn't good was when Adam was alone. And then he created Eve. And then he said that creation of Adam and Eve together was not just good, it was very good. The only time we see that superlative used to describe his creation in scripture. So if that's the God who 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 we deal with, I I I can't, I can't personally say, you know, there's justification for these kind of things. There are, are scholars who spend all their life doing that stuff. And if they have a better idea for it and can show me why or how, then I'll listen and go, okay, that's interesting. And I see that point of view. But how I view God is, is that firm, fatherly disciplinarian who loves us and tries to take care of us. And we just continually just screw up. And, and we have to, but then we go, when good things say, hey, look what God did for me. Mm -hmm. Maybe not. I don't think, I don't think God did everything for you. Sometimes good things happen. We don't necessarily have to ascribe something to God that he did or didn't do or, or, or the devil. I think we, we give that too much leeway. Um, I have agree. We blessed? Have, we have, have we had miracles? Yes. Are those godly things? Yes. But, I mean, you make it to the gas station without on that last bit of gas and you didn't run out and say, oh, God bless me. No, God doesn't give a rip about the gas in your car. All right? You just, you just, you just made it by the skin of your teeth. Right. <laughs> At Honda Civic, it's just good on gas mileage, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, or Hyundai Sonata or whatever it is. You yeah. 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 It's just you, you were able to do it. God did not magically put more gas in your car to get to the gas station. You know, I mean, that doesn't happen. Um, so I, I think we have to look at those things and go, all right, at what point can we see the true God? At what point can we see people justifying actions to God to justify their own position? Beautiful, beautiful. Why, now, here's a good one for you. Why did God create mankind at all? If in Genesis, God said he was sorry he created them in the first place. <laughs> I think it wasn't that he was sorry he created them. He was sorry he created them and they made the choice that they did. That's what he was sorry about. Um, because up until that point, <clears throat> he, um, it was everything he created worshiped him they had no choice angels are are where we can't ever be angels um when someone dies don't say they're an angel now because that's not the case they're completely separate beings you cannot be an angel all right um angels have a specific function they can't be better or worse than they have their function in that day there are angels that sing there are angels that play music there are angels that are messengers there are angels that are just bad mama jamas that you don't want to mess with with flaming swords um they're created and that's all they can do and that's all they're designed to do we weren't designed that way we were designed to have free will to be creative to do the things we want to do and at the end of the day if we choose to accept god think about this if angels who are created beautiful beings who sing to god every day if if a person chooses god it says that's more beautiful than him than all the angels in heaven sing i mean if that doesn't tell you how much someone loves you even though you don't necessarily love them back I can't see a better analogy of a, of a loving father who cares for us and loves us and says, that's my boy right there. Um, 
because, I mean, there have been times where my kid has probably done something pretty terrible, and I was proud of them. Like, That's my boy right there, and it could have been just <laughs> terrible. We do that with our children. We know? do. And, and, we, and, and really God, we do, and, and for God, it's the same thing. He loves us, and and when he, if if things happen and we go his way and we follow him, the fact that he created these beings to be the most angelic, beautiful things in the world that can do these amazing things. And it says all, all of them in heaven pale in comparison to us worshiping him when we choose him. I, I don't know how more powerful and loving that can make a God sound. You must have prepared for this. And, and I want people to understand that we don't go over these questions beforehand. You just know this shit off the top of your head. Yeah, I'm pretty much BSing a lot of it. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I get through my life, my friend. So, so here's another one for you to BS, sir. Why did God feel the need to show mankind his love? And why does he need love return from sinful, wretched mankind? Because <clears throat> at the end of the day, it goes back to uh, what we just talked about, the choice. Um, mm -hmm. It's not that he needs love. He doesn't need love. He doesn't need anything. He's God. It's that idea that he created beings who could choose or not choose him. And it was their choice. He gave us the choice in the garden. He gave us. So when everything was perfect and, you know, playing nude back, you know, volleyball with hot models, that was our life. That was what we were destined to do. You know, so Adam and Eve, I'm a little mad at you. When we get to heaven, we don't have words. So um, yeah. because I like to play nude volleyball with supermodels. I mean, I don't know about you, but that's just me. So Adam and Eve are gonna and I are gonna have words when we get to heaven. But <laughs> the point is, he gave us that choice. Why? Why put it there in the first place? Because he wanted us to choose, choose him. He's offering. I mean, he gave us the best of everything in the garden, and we still chose not to do to be with him. And yet he said, you know, I think in 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 return, he couldn't get away from us. He he loved us that much that he couldn't abandon us. He couldn't say, no, screw them. They're on their own. Mm. It's that. Father, no matter how much you, your kid gets mad at you or hates you, you love that kid and you're going to care for them. You're going to do what's best for them. Even if they're mad at you and they hate you or whatever, they're going to do that thing that <laughs> you're going to do that thing for them and love them despite how they do. Um, you're always going to have love for them. And that's what God was. I think all of scripture is that love story of God for his people, for the creation that he had. Even when they spit in his face and say he's terrible and he doesn't exist, he still loves us. And he's, he cares for us, even though we don't in return. And so he doesn't require it. He doesn't need it. He, he enjoys it because it's that idea of someone fulfilling their true potential uh, and, and reaching their full purpose, which is, you know what? We're created to love God, to believe in something higher than us, and to reach that moment. And you're when you do that, it's like seeing a painting finally completed. You know, being able to see the Mona yeah. Lisa and, and go, this is completed, this is done, this is beautiful. That's his, I think, I think that's how he sees us. No, I, I think it's, you see, this is where I, I always come to this conclusion internally with God, where I think I'm a better dad than God. And I actually have a podcast titled In the Very Beginning of the Podcast. It was like my third or fourth one that I did. I should do my solos. Or that was a title of the episode where I question this. And God loves everyone of his children so much, right? And then mm -hmm. you just use the analogy that we love our own children. 
But I would never, even if my children turn their backs on me and say, we hate you, Dad, we'll never talk to you again, and they disappear until the day I die, I would never wish for them to burn for hell in eternity like we get sentenced if we don't have full faith in God. So my question to you is, how infinite can, you know, God's love be if he, you know, for people that reject him as being their savior, he he basically sends us to everlasting hell. Well, it's not that he sends us. He gave us that choice. He gave us that way out. Before Christ, before the salvation, the cross and the blood and the resurrection, there was no way to get to God. You were destined for hell no matter what you did. And that is... And, and, and God tried to do things, the sacrifices and, and things like that to get in place. And it wasn't working. And he says, enough. I can't handle this anymore. I'm going to send my son who's going to live a perfect life, die on the cross, rise again three days later. And in that final sacrifice, people will be able to choose me or not. And it, it goes down to if they don't, they can't be with me because they have sin. Because God and sin cannot be together. That is That is a fundamental. It's kind of like. Antimatter and matter can't be together. Or it's going to be a massive explosion, uh, yeah. you know, to put it in a scientific term. So in that or, you know, the same uh, poles of a magnet cannot come together. They're going to reject each other. Same thing with God and sin. It's like those magnetic poles that just cannot come together because they're opposites. And so when you have that in your life, it's like you're on the same magnetic wavelength as God. And it just repels you from each other. And so he he didn't want to lose it. So it's that idea of, I want to, I want them to get out of this, but they have to choose. It's their choice at the end of the day. I can't make them do it. You know, as much as we want our kids to do what we want and we want them to listen at the end of the day, as a parent, our job is to hopefully instill them with the things so they make the right choices. And we can't guarantee that because we want them to be adults to make those old choices and do the right things. But there's only so much we can do at the end of the day. They're going to make their own choices, you know? And so you can even give them a way out of the situation they're in. And if they don't take it and they struggle and they fail and you're going to be heartbroken, but this, this, there's only so much you can do at the end of the day. And God is the same way. He's like, look, I give you this way out. You can choose it. It's up to you. These are the, con but see, here's the thing. He lays out the consequences. If you don't, this is what's going to happen. I don't want this for you, but it's your choice. I'm not going to make you do it. You have the decision to choose. You can spend eternity with me or you cannot. And that is your choice. Um, and so we, and with our kids, it's the same thing. We can give them a choice. They can have it. And we can lay out the consequences. I mean, I've seen this with my own child where, all right, you can do this or you can do this. And here's what's going to happen. And he still makes a poor choice. And it's like, all right. Fine. Okay, this is the choice you're making. How do we, how do we go from here? How do we make this happen? Uh, with God, and so as much as He wants to be with you, He can't because of that sin, that connection that, that is lost because of that thing. And even as much as He wants, as much as He wants everybody to be there, sin is the barrier, and it's the thing that keeps us from Him. When you remove that, now our poles are connected, they're attracted, and now we can spend time with Him. If we choose, it's not, you know, the thing that you do that <clears throat> that you are like, OK, I prayed a prayer. The prayer doesn't mean anything. The prayer is just you can say whatever is mm -hmm. that you're submitting to him, that you're letting him be in control, that you don't want sin to be the barrier between you and him anymore. 
that you're choosing to be with him. That's the prayer. That's that's the the essentials of the prayer. It's not a magic prayer. It doesn't do anything. Um, you know, you don't have to pray it out loud or whatever. But you know, that's the point of it is to say, I'm choosing you because I I, I believe, I have faith. I'm stepping out. I know that you're there. There's something there. I want to believe more. I want to learn more. That's what it is. It's 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 our, it's a choice at the end of the day. And 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 there are consequences for not choosing those things. And we go, well, that's bad. So it's bad that someone tells you the consequences of a choice you don't feel you choose to make. Okay. So then I just will let you make a choice and not have to figure it out on your own. You know. So that's that's how I view view it and look at it. Now, I feel like he just doesn't have any room for forgiveness, like no fault for error. Because if your son went in your wallet when you guys were asleep at night, took $10 out, bought a pack of cigarettes and a can of beer, and he called him 14 years old, like, hey, what the hell are you doing? And he's doing something wrong. You're going to send him to his room for a week or so, whatever time you guys determine is the best course of disciplinary action. And he's allowed out and you guys can get over it and move along as a family, just move forward and things don't have to change. But with God, I feel like if you do him wrong and you die and you don't accept him as your Lord and Savior, you go to hell and you can't come out. It's not Buddhism where you have to be, you know, uh, sequestered somewhere for a hundred years or whatever the time frame is. I don't know off the top of my head, but you have room for forgiveness. You can get out and make it to the next level where it's their version of heaven. I just feel like with God, it's it's forever. And it's like, wait, can I be in hell burning for 500 years and then realize I did wrong and then maybe ascend to heaven? Can I get out of there? And I guess the answer that I've always been told is no, you're screwed. When you're in hell, you're done. And that's it. No room for he He, he doesn't love us that much, apparently. That's the way I've always felt about it. And that's where my one of my biggest conflicts lies. Uh, here, I guess my to address that would be this: is let's, uh, you know, someone tells you don't put your hand into a fire or it's going to burn, and you burn your hand to, you know, whatever third degree for whatever I can't remember first degree is worse or third degree because I think it's first degree. degree. Yeah, first degree is I think the worst. And you're yeah. like, oh, and that was terrible. Why did I do that? You're still going to have those scars and those consequences. You can't go back and fix that. You know, it's, it's so within it's the same idea. It's that oh, wow, this was bad. I shouldn't have done that. It's kind of like trying to fix something after it's already happened. It was a bad thing. You know, there are certain things in life that happen that are bad that we can't fix. We just have to deal with it and move forward. Um, so that would be like, if that were the case, everybody goes to hell. Well, oh, this sucks. Well, yeah, of course I believe in God now. So why is it that now it's real when you couldn't believe it before? I mean, <laughs> instead of faith and going, okay, well, yeah, no, this sucks. This is terrible. So yeah, I, of course I believe in God now. I mean, it's kind of like after the, the fact of taking a test. Uh, well, yeah, no, of course, I, I knew those answers now because you have you've seen the right answers to the test. So it's that idea of understanding, OK, these are the things that are happening. These are real. I have to have some faith. Um, I, and, and, and so and depending on. OK, so there are some um, uh, Christian faiths, um, the high liturgical faiths, Catholic, Lutheran, uh, Episcopalian like that, that believe in purgatory. So if you go to these churches, you're involved, if people pray for you, you can get out of it. So that is an aspect of Christianity um, in the high liturgical churches, that that is an aspect of it, where your family can pray for you and get you out of purgatory and get you into heaven at some point. Um, I, I don't remember what that is because, you know, 
even though I spent 12 years in Catholic school worrying about it, I mean, I, it's not my thing. So, <laughs> um, you know, uh, and Catholics are just weird. I love mm-hmm. them. I have lots of Catholic friends, but they're just, some of their stuff is just weird. Um, oh, so, tons of it. You know, you know, yeah. I mean, so that, but that's, that's, you know, so if maybe if that's the thing you're looking for, then maybe look into something along those lines because there is a way out in according to those. You go to purgatory, um, and then from there your family can get you to heaven or or however. So how basically that idea being you've taught them, you've in you've passed on the traditions and knowledges, and so in turn they're helping you get to that point where you can be that if you're not quite there. Um, but it, it goes back to to me that's just like yeah, and then, well, yeah, of course it sucks. So I don't want to do it anymore. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so, but then it's not, it's, is it still real to you in that aspect? Uh, is it something that's like, yeah, I totally believe because you're in it. You're in, you're in the shit, as they say. So what, at what point is it really belief? Because it's that idea of, um, well, now, yeah, I get it because this fire sucks and the devil's real and that sucks and demons. Yeah, that's not good. Yeah, of course I believe now because God's great. Um you know, uh, so that is, I think, how to best look at it. Um, it's it's not something that God wants from you, but it's something that, once again, he gave you that choice. He gave you that option, and that's what you chose. Um, and he doesn't want that for you. But, you know, it's, it's, that, it's that fact of death is where your choice is going to be made real. If he doesn't exist, then I died, but I lived a good life. If he does... Oh, well, you know what? You know, that's, that's, that's the shit right there. Oh, well, too bad. You know, and I, I know that sounds harsh, but sometimes at some point as a parent, we have to help our kids make that decision and be, look, you got to you gotta shit or get off the pot. You got to do something. You got to make that decision, whatever it is. And, and, you, and that sounds mean sometimes. People, oh, my God, you're so mean to your child. Making them choose. No, they need to learn to make that choice or else they're just going to sit there forever. You know, we talk about yeah. our kids in these programs. At some point, you have to make a choice. You can't just sit there. That's the worst place to be. You have fight or flight. Run to it, run away from it, or fight against it. But if you freeze, you're going to get hurt or killed because you're not doing anything. And at some point, something bad is going to happen. So you need to make that decision. Am I going to run away or am I going to fight? And the same way with our kids, we, we have to make that choice. There has to be some form of hard consequence at the end to make a decision on something, or you're never going to make a decision at all. I get it, but it's like we're never going to strand our kids behind. Like, we are never going to give up on them, no matter what. Like, you're a good father, I'm a good father. We're never going to just say, all right, this is it, I'm done with you, and just walk away from our kid. That's how I feel as a, you know, quote-unquote child of God is if I do the wrong thing in life, I he basically essentially just abandons me in this place where I'm burning in hell for eternity and, and, and torture. The thing is, is like there's always there's there always should be a way out. There should be some kind of sentencing or a term, maybe you have to all right, well, you know, since you didn't do this and you did that in your life, you're gonna go to hell for 50 years. I'm gonna give you a chance to redeem yourself. Something, just something. I just feel like it's it's too final for someone that's supposed to love us with all their heart and wants the best for us that if we make this one cardinal mistake, that's the end. Like there's no looking back. There's no coming back from it. And you can't redeem yourself. I thought the whole thing was redemption. And it's redemption in life and what we're doing now, because it goes back to that. Of, okay. Yeah, no, this is real now. I see it. And it, it, it's a hollow belief. 
you know, it's that idea of, um, well, I have to see to believe. Okay, well, if that's the case and, and hell is real, you're going to see it and you're going to believe, but it does no good at this point. Um, there, there is, it goes back to faith. At the end of the day, you got to just make that jump. You got to go back to Indiana Jones and just take that step and trust that something's there. At the end of the day, no matter what, um, you know, that you, and, and, and some people, they, they're never going to do that, which uh, I get that. And um, you can't, I, I can't, I don't look at it as a, and that's where I like, I think uh, with your struggle with the finality of it is that's where high liturgical churches come in with the purgatory so that you can get out of it so that you yeah. can make it. Um, so, you know, those things, I get that. But I think for me, it, it goes back to faith at the end of the day. Do I trust God? He says these things. Am I going to believe it? You know what? I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go for it. Um, and so, um, you know, we at the same time, I use the father analogy because it's easy for us to relate to it as fathers. But at the same time, too, um, I don't see it as abandoning it because he, he doesn't like it. He doesn't want that for us. He wants us to be with him. And it pains him when people die and go to hell. It's not like he, he can't, you know, it, it's not that he wants that for us. But it's that idea of they chose this and now sin is there. And like I said, this sin and God can't mix. And, and they can't be, they're not attracted to each other. Um, as much as he wants, he sees those people there. And he pains for them because they're there. They're his creation. That's not what he wanted for them. And it's not something, it's ideal. But at the same time, too, we have to remember that he did this for us for a reason. And we don't know what everything is. We don't know what those things are. At the mm -hmm. end of the day, it's faith. We have to trust that, that he's there for us and he has the best idea for us. And, of course, it could all be not, but I'm okay with that. Babe, you know, I do think faith can be a good thing. It can be very good uh, for people that live it, you know, the right way and they help other people and they just don't enforce their laws on other people because you see that a lot. Some people are like, hey, you're 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 not just my my old boss. He had a customer ask him, are you even a Christian? Because he wouldn't give her a discount on her bill. And it's like at that point, you're using this for the wrong reasons. You're exactly. just using it to flaunt in someone's face. Exactly. Exactly, man. But I got three more for you here. Okay. And I appreciate you being such a good sport going through these with me here because religion is a very touchy subject. But mm -hmm. we are two guys who just don't get offended by shit. And that's why we can have this conversation where most people cannot. Because we can learn from Exactly. So <laughs> here's why I've wondered. Why was Jesus's death on the cross the only way, the only way sins could be forgiven? Like they couldn't have come up with something better, like rock, paper, scissors. It had yeah, to be yeah. him dying on the cross. Yeah. I, I mean, you see in scripture, Jesus is like, I don't want to do this. This is not going to be fun. It sucks. <laughs> hey, this is pass for me. Let's do it. Sign off from that. Yeah. Because I mean, I, I think in that moment we see the true humanity of Christ. But at the end of the day, because God knew he needed something to do this and a beheading wasn't going to be the way to do it. Um, there had to be a way to go about the sacrifice. A lot of it symbolizes the way um, lambs were slaughtered for the sacrifice. They usually, a lot of times, they didn't say anything. They didn't make a noise. They were brought up. They were sacrificed and, and, and killed. 
for the Israelites. And if you look at what happened with Christ, the similar thing happened. He went to Pilate. They tried to get him out. He didn't say anything. Beaten. Didn't say anything. Carried his cross. Didn't say anything. And uh, there were lots of prophecies 400 years ahead of time, one of them being that Christ, the, the Messiah, would die and not a bone would be broken. Um, let's be honest. If nothing else, we know Jesus is a historical person, and we know the Romans knew how to kill people very, very good. You know, the reason why they did this form of death, because it was the most humiliating. You were usually naked, and you were put on display by a road for everyone to see. Your sin was posted, uh, or your crime was posted, and people could jeer, spit, and do all these kind of terrible things at you as you slowly suffocated for sometimes up to three days or five days. Um, as you tried to struggle with pushing up on your body, which, oh, by the way, the nails were drove, driven through your feet, so you have to try to use your legs to push up with that kind of pain to mm-hmm. intake air because of the way you were you were situated. Uh, the, the nails were put through your wrists between, so not necessarily in your hands, because that would have broken bone, It was, and it would have held. It was put in your wrist in between the wrists and the muscles there, where it would have held, and you have to push up on those aspects of your uh, of those nails to just take a breath. It was a terrible, miserable way to die, and to make sure they were dead, they stuck him in the side with a spear, even after he died, to make sure he was dead, because Romans were pretty good about that, and they were able to slip it into his ribs in a way that it didn't break his ribs. It was all, and then in that symbol, we see the blood in the water from the, you know, when you asphyxiate asphyxiate pardon me words are hard yeah. <laughs> um, yeah yeah there there is a, a fluid that surrounds the heart when you die and it's like water um so when they punctured the ribs that water and blood came out symbolic of what god needed for the sacrifice um so that it was the most <clears throat> uh, it was the most similar to what god needed for that to happen and in that process we saw the the amount of pain that God went through for us um, because it sucked. Mind you, most people didn't get whipped before they went on the cross. Now, imagine the things I told you about trying to push up to breathe. Imagine with a back that looks like hamburger because the the cat of nine tails was a whip that had uh, pieces of bone, rock, oh, put on the end and whipped. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen The Passion of the Christ with Jim Caviezel. Uh-huh. Okay, so there was a scene where he actually got hit, and he almost passed out, but he kept Mm -hmm. going. He literally, he really got hit in real life with a cat of nine tails once, and he literally almost passed out from the pain. Um, And so that was 30 licks that Jesus took. Mind you, all that with your back looking like what it was, you're pushing up on rough wood to get a breath of air with all that on you. The amount of pain and suffering that he dealt because of the sin he bore was the reason why it went about that way. There's something about the olden days and any stories that you read about evil dictatorships or evil regimes or just people getting killed in general, man, always in horrifically. I don't know if you ever read the story about Vlad the Impaler or how he oh, would oh. like take his enemy's heads, place them on pikes around his castle. Oh, no, just, no, no. Just say, don't fuck Vlad- with me. Vlad the Impaler got his name because he would literally put a person on a spike and they would slowly work their way down from their butt to where that spike would go through their throat. And it oh. would be 
excruciating way to die. That is how he killed people. Not just cutting their heads off and putting on a pipe. He would literally stick them from their butthole, put a pipe that way, and they would slowly slide their way down, down that pipe. And that's how he impaled them. Something tells me a very small majority of this uh, population would enjoy dying that way with a no, pipe and hail thrust, the way yeah. things are now. Yeah. All right, here we go. I got two more for you, my friend. Okay. All right, so how can a human being believe they have the capacity to love an imponderable, dreamlike abstraction such as God more than his own wife and children? Uh, how do people believe in unicorns and dinosaurs and love them more than other people. I mean, it, it, it goes back to that thing. I mean, I didn't mean dinosaurs, like dragons and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's that idea that we're looking for something bigger than ourselves. No matter what your religion is, that's the purpose. Everyone is looking for something bigger than themselves. And and uh, and that's, that's really what we're striving for. Um, whether you see that as Allah, God, Buddha, um, the 300 plus gods of Hinduism, um, Taoism, whatever that is, you're looking for something bigger than yourself because we can't understand life. We need to find, we want to try to put an explanation on it. And so at the end of the day, religion at the end of the day is human beings trying to understand life and how to put it in a context we can grasp. And so that's why there are different religions but if you look at them, a lot of them have a lot of similarities. All the major religions have a flood story in it, a Noah-type story. So that tells me one of two things. We're similar than we think, or a, lot, a big flood really did happen. One of the two things. You can't tell me that every major religion that has a flood story, that it was, or we like to take from each other because we look at each other's notes and go, ooh, I like that, I'm going to take a little bit of this. That could be the other half of it, you know? But... For so many religions to have that same narrative in some way, shape, or form, boy, that's that's a lot of similarity there or something really happened. We have to really go, because at the end of the day, we're looking for that meaning. We're looking for that thing that's bigger than ourselves and how to connect. And some of us say God. Some of us say, you know, Allah, or uh, some of us say Buddha. But whatever that is, we're looking for that. And I don't think it's that we love it more than our spouse. It's that we are in partnership with our love for it. You know? So I don't love God more than my spouse. My spouse and I love God together. And we try to instill that in our son. If you love your, if you love God more than your spouse, then you're not doing your job as a husband to work with your spouse to do those things. It's a partnership. It's 100-100, not 50-50, because that, that means you have 50% you're not giving your wife. You should be giving your wife 100% and working as a partner with her to grow your family and to do the things you need to. And so if you love God more than your spouse, you're not doing your job. And so as we go through this marble and trying to figure out how to go through life, if you find that thing that relates to you, do it and do it well, do it 100% and do it in partnership with your spouse. You're not the boss. You're not, you're a partner. Um, <laughs> you know, that's why, that's why, Good relationships work because you do it together, not because you're going to do this because I said so. That's garbage. That is garbage husbandry. It should be we work as partners to figure out how to best do it. As we incorporate the spiritual, we work together to work towards that one thing. 
Yeah, I never agreed with that as well, because um, I've I, I've seen garbage human beings like that in my life where they feel like their spouse was put on this earth to serve them, and that's not the way that thing works, man. It, it's it's not. And like we joke a lot, uh, my wife and I on the podcast, but we really do have a fifty fifty partnership on everything. We and I'm probably just giving away things, and other people are going to be listening to us differently from now on. But it, yeah. it, it, it's it, that's the way it's supposed to work. Exactly. And yeah, man, I I agree hundred percent. But here we go. Well, they, I, yeah, you yeah. said 50, 50. Get to that hundred hundred, baby. Get to that hundred hundred. <laughs> well, Jesus is a silent partner, right? God's a silent because he doesn't actually talk to people. It's just basically like through your because this is and and and, and this is something and not anything to do with the last question I'm, I'm going to ask you here. This is something that's me going off on this little side tangent here. Mm-hmm. Was I've had those silent conversations with God because I I have begged. My dad put me through this whole thing. He had me say the prayer, accept them, and everything like that. I read the Bible. Mm-hmm. And I was sitting there in a room by myself as a very young man, and it never made sense to me. I was kind of pushed into this. And I sat in a room, and I'm like, God, please, if you're real, move this pencil. Knock knock the shampoo bottle over. Do something. Please don't make me feel like a fool for believing in something my entire life without knowing if it's real or not. Never heard a word. Never got any like dreams or anything like that. That he came to me in a dream or a vision never happened. That's kind of also what helped push me out of it all, because I need something, and that's why I can never do what was done to me as a kid, being thrown into this thing without even having a choice. It was okay. This is what you're going to do. That's why I'm kind of on the fence, and I'm like, well, if I do this, it has to be 100. percent That's sure, where sure. I come from with that. Yeah, I understand that. I mean, um, I mean, Scripture says don't test God, which I mean, I try not to. But at the same time, there's moments where you're like, God, are you real? I mean, I, how is that? Um, when we come to have that relationship, um, we begin to understand that He speaks to us not through prayer. Sometimes maybe it's through another person. Um, someone just happens to have that right thing to say when you need it, or how you know you read something and it's like, boy, that's inspirational. Where did that come from? Uh, I mean, there have been times where I've struggled and I open up my Bible just because I'm so frustrated and it takes me to a scripture that just speaks to me of what I needed right at that moment. Is that God? I don't know. But you know what? I would like to think so. It's that idea of, once again, we're looking for that higher power to connect with us and we're looking for that to help us understand as we go through life. We can't sit there and go, you know what? Yeah, this is real or this is not real. You know, um, I need to see this pencil move because... You know, it's not going to be the case. Um, he does. He's not a magician. He's not a showman. He's not a person who's going to do a dance for you to show that he's real. It's it's it goes it goes back to faith and just trusting and knowing. And I think from there, then we just build on those things and uh, we begin to have those relationships. It's not necessarily that he speaks to us in a loud, booming voice. Uh, my favorite stories uh, in old the Old Testament actually with Elijah. Uh, Elisha is uh, Elijah is on the mountain. And it says he's, he's looking for God. He's struggling. He doesn't know what to do. He's been kicked out of his home. The king wants to kill him. And he's like, God, I need you to speak to me. And it says a big thunderous lightning comes through, and God's not there. Uh, and a massive storm comes through, and God's not there. And then he hears a small whisper, and it's the voice of God. We like to say, God, I need you to do this. But sometimes we miss on the little things that he really is trying to connect with us because we look for those big things. It's like the, the story of the guy who's there's a flood and he's on his roof and, you know, a guy comes by in a truck and says, Hey, come on, man, we'll get you out of here. Nope. God's going to save me. 
and uh, you know the waters get higher and a guy comes by in a boat and nope, God's gonna save me. Um, and then the waters get higher now and then a helicopter comes and he's like, no, God's gonna save me. And um, so the water comes and knocks the boat at his house away and he dies, he gets to heaven. And he's like, God, why didn't you save me? What are you talking about? I said a truck, I said a boat, and a helicopter. It's not my fault. You know, you know, it's that idea of, you know, we miss the little things sometimes because we expect this, you know, giant hand or whatever to come down. And yet it's in the small things that he really speaks to us. And so we have to really go back and go, yeah, we look at these things in the Bible and they were grand and wonderful. But I think where we really see God is in those small moments. That's the true God. That's the power. And that's where we miss a lot of times because we expect these grand things. And, and because we want a showman and not a relationship with a person who, who desires that with us, who just wants to talk. It's not about the big things. It's about the little things. It makes sense. Makes sense. Makes perfect sense, actually. And, uh, you know, maybe I'll try praying again one of these days. Maybe I'll throw out a trial like, hey, God, I'm going to go play the lottery tomorrow. If you throw me a little something, something, I'll believe in you. But I don't think yeah. it works that way. No, it doesn't work that way. That's, <laughs> we talked about this last time about how that's wealthy and <laughs> claimant. That's garbage religion. You know, so don't do that. Exactly. Don't put that bad, don't put that bad juju on me, Ricky Bobby. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, listen, if I lose this job after this podcast, me and you are done. I'm telling you, man. Because <laughs> I can't do this again. <laughs> All right, here we go. So here's my last one for you because we've gone. This is the, like this is some like Joe Rogan level type shit. Two hours wow. and thirty minutes. Or have we been just going and going, man? This is like this is a good one. If faith in God is worth anything, shouldn't He want us to reach Him through our reason? rather than unthinkingly through blind faith. That's all I'm going to leave you on this one. What do you think about that? That's a good one. So if you never notice, uh, I've never said I don't question, I don't think. And I don't think that's how God is either. He doesn't. He wants us to learn and grow. If we don't question, we become these people like the Westboro Baptist Church, who become so set on their own mindsets and their own things, and we become set on, the personalities of the preachers that we listen to instead of questioning why we do these things. So there is, it, it's a blind sense of, I trust God's there, but why? It's okay to ask why um, and to believe, uh, why do we do these things? What are the reasons why we do them? And we find out certain things. Well, this is the way the church has taught us, but the church is not the end all be all on how to connect with God. It's, it's that idea that really at the end of the day, we need to figure out, What's our personal belief? We can have the checklist that the church gives us, but guess what? I grew up Southern Baptist. I'm not Southern Baptist. I'm, I would say I'm more non-denominational because I begin to question, well, why are we doing these things? Why are we saying we need to boycott this stuff? Why are we being kind of jerks about this? You know, if we mm -hmm. don't question, we don't ask, use our reason, we become these dogmatic people who stray from what God really was and what he taught. Because we're not questioning, we're not believing, we're just listening to this person who's telling us these things that, you know, oh, rock music is of the devil and you're going to go to hell for listening to it. Uh, crap. That is garbage. That is just scare tactics to get people, you know, to say, oh, they need to go to heaven. That is fire insurance and that is trash. Don't do that garbage. You know, you need to be able to question and think and ask and be free to do so. And in churches, a lot of times people aren't. You know, um, I don't know if you, I, I watch YouTube and I, 
I have a, a favorite one. I, I love uh, Good Mythical Morning with Rhett and Link. I don't know if you don't know who they are or watched any of it. Um, they're they're good dudes. I love them. Uh, they they have their own podcast called Beer Biscuit, and they talked about just recently how they've gone from being North Carolina Southern Baptist believing evangelical Christians to the way they're agnostic. And I loved it. I thought it was great, and it was because I think part of the reason why is because they wanted to question, and the church is like, no, we don't question. No, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. That's, that's how you. That's how you go to hell. That's how you lose your faith. I'm like, no, that's how we learn. That's how we yeah. grow. And if Thanks. that leads that direction then that's fine you're on that journey of discovery and they've said that they're not atheists but they're a little agnostic and they might come back to it one day but that's just where they're at in their spiritual walk right now that's okay i mean that's not that's that doesn't make them terrible people doesn't negate everything they've done it's okay to have that explore exploration but in the church we don't allow that sometimes because we're afraid the church is afraid of the power they're going to lose because people are going to see that there's things that the church isn't supposed to do. And so that's why it's hard to say, we need to question, you know, this is, it's, it's, you're at the end of the day, I think really, you're not necessarily questioning God. You are in a sense, but you're questioning the church and why they say, this is the thing that need to happen. I have no problem with that whatsoever. And I have no problem going, Hey, so how do we know this was real? Can you show me, you know, what are the, besides your biblical proofs, what are some historical and, and, um, you know, physical proof that these things existed. Show me those things. Mm -hmm. I think that's okay. It doesn't mean I don't trust God. It just means I don't trust the person who's telling me about it. You know, I mean, you, we, we ask questions of a car salesman when they're trying to sell us a car, don't we? We don't just trust what they say, you know, even though it's a good Fantastic deal or whatever. Fantastic analogy. We still ask those questions. We still go, why? What is this purpose? Why does this cost so much? What are we doing? And it's part of our negotiating tactics. This same thing can be applied to our faith. We can have that base faith. We know this person is dealing with this in good faith. We know God's dealing with this in good faith. But we can still learn and grow and ask questions as we begin our as we continue on our journey. And it makes us a better person. So the next time you go to a car dealership, you know how to negotiate better and ask better questions because you're like, I should have asked this last time we did. And you begin to make those mental notes. And so the next time you go, you're more prepared for that salesman so they start doing those things and you can ask questions and and catch them on those things yep. that they're like oh wow okay and you begin to see okay well maybe this church isn't the place for me because i believe these things your faith in god hasn't changed it's what the church is saying how we need to do those things at the end of the day church is a place where we go to worship god it shouldn't be how what dictates our lives what dictates our lives should be scripture and how we believe god wants us to live Everything I see in scripture says we need to live a good life. And I mean, the good life thing is whatever. We need to live a life that, you know, supports others, whether they believe in God or not. We need to love on them and care about them and let them make their choices. And, you know, we can encourage them and be with them along the way. But we don't need to be judgmental. We don't need to tell them you're going to hell because of this. Most people know that. We just need to love on them. And, and as, as St. Francis of Assisi said, you know, preach the gospel daily. Use words if you have to. Meaning, show people through action the importance of what God can do. Through the things you do and how you act. Not the words you say. Words are meaningless. Actions speak louder than words. Show them what God really is through who you are and how you treat other people. My Hell God. yeah. Hell yeah. Those are some, actually, I'm going to say amen. Those are some great words to live by, my friend. 
if anybody can give it to the people straight, it's you. And my question to you, and I'm going to give you a bonus one. Why the hell don't you have your own podcast right now? Uh, because of the amount of work I do during the week, uh, I don't know when I would find the time. It's not a passion for me. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, I, like I said, I have a broadcasting degree. I, I'd rather go on um, and let other people do the work and just kind of talk. <laughs> oh, thanks. Enjoy it. And, yeah, I know. But, you know, but I like, I, to me, it's more, um, I enjoy the engagement of it. And if I'm having to focus on putting stuff out and doing all that, then it, it, it won't become a joy. I enjoy rather having a conversation with you. And, oh, yeah, by the way, it's a podcast. To me, I, I it hasn't popped in my head that we're doing this for podcasts. We've been having a conversation and getting to know each other and learning from each other. So I'd rather go about it that way and continue it to be a passion where I talk to people on their platforms and whatever we want to talk about than me doing it and then becoming a job when I already have one that, you know, can be frustrating sometimes. And that makes the most amount of sense right there. If anything we talked about, that does make the most sense. Do things because you want to do it, because you enjoy it. Don't do things because it's a job. We, you know, we talked about that earlier in the podcast, but just like you said, man, like this conversation was a conversation. It didn't feel like a podcast. Like we were doing it. Like I almost forgot we were even recording at this point. It was just became a conversation. Just, I learned a lot of stuff. I got a lot of wrinkles in my brain, but man, we've gone almost two hours and 45 minutes. This is a very, very in-depth, deep dive conversation. Very good stuff. Yeah, man. I've, I've loved it. It's been great. I'm, oh, me I'm too. Down, me too. And so I'm here for you. My name is called me like, Hey, I need to fill some time, man. I'll, I'll fill some time for you. I can BS with the best of them, baby. I've uh, got plenty of notes left over. I, I've only checked off half my stuff. So please let the people know where they can find you, Mr. John Enright. Please let them know. Uh, well, you know, you can find me, John Enright, on, on Facebook. Uh, Twitter is, and Instagram are jreezymen um, because it was a stupid day and I came up with some other people. It, was, it would be my rap name <laughs> if I was a rapper. Because um, when you work sometimes with twenty-year-olds in ministry and they have you know whatever ideas, you just do it because whatever you think you're cool and you're not. But you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, you can find uh, my agency uh, Freedom House on Facebook. Uh, you can find our program Crossroads on Facebook. Uh, I think I sent you an invite today because I realized I hadn't invited you to our program yet. Uh, so uh, yeah, you can you can you can see what we're doing on that on the regular there. Like today, you can see that I had a friend who's a professional wrestler come and talk to kids in schools about bullying. That was a lot of fun. Um, that's the most of the way you can get a hold of me. Um, uh, yeah, that's and then from there you can I can give you more personal information later on if you want to connect through those things. So, um, but before we do go, because I know you're trying to do this, I've been I've been working on this. I know the last time I said I gave you an introduction for you to play Evan use it because I realized it was kind of shitty. Um, so. <laughs> I came up with a new one for you. So if you're ready, I'd like to give it to you. Oh, I'm ready. Okay. All right. <clears throat> here we go. Sorry for the eight-hour voice that's struggling, but here we go. Oh, mine sounds bad, too. Yeah, uh, you're fine. Ladies and gentlemen, you wanted the best. You got the best. The top ten of Podbean's 2019, The Nerd and Nerdette, The Voices of Misery Podcast. I am wiping tears right now because you did mention the top 10 and that right there meant a lot to us. And that was pretty goddamn good. My friend, that was pretty amazing. So I try. 
So what's going to happen here is I'm going to post all the links in the description for people that can't spell Jay Reezy. It's going to be in the description. So I get it was copy and paste or click the link. So yeah, therefore, yeah. you guys can find our good friend here and ask him any questions you may want to ask about religion, politics, whatever. This guy knows a lot of shit. But wait a second. Hold, wait, hold on a second. Something's happening okay. right now. Something's uh -oh. happening. Uh-oh, what's going on? Oh, my God. appreciates me in the discord chat and in, out in the podcast world this this is great well i appreciate it. you make me feel special now because oh my gosh it's, you just made my day <laughs> <laughs> oh man well ladies and gentlemen this has been another episode of the voice of misery podcast we had a run-in from the nerd at the very end as promised two hours hey, wait, 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 wait hold on a second what? what oh here we go we're gonna go another two hours now no, yes, we yes. listen <laughs> you gotta say how you doing Oh, how you doing? How you doing? See? <laughs> <laughs> that sounds pretty good. That sounds, yeah. that sounds yeah. really good. I, I no, my night's complete. Hey, how you doing over there? You know, you're learning today. You're doing all right? All right. So, Michelle, how you doing over there, Michelle? Michelle, you good? You looking cute there, Michelle? Just got a I can do a little Minnesota for you. Oh, you know how you do over there? It's a little cold or you're a little warm. You know what I mean? So, you know, I can be a little, a little weird if I want to. Oh, my God. That's amazing. Oh, that's fantastic. What a way to go off the rails at the very end. And you know what? This just goes to show that an agnostic <laughs> and a religious person can get along fine and holy matrimony or unholy. However you want to wrap this yeah, thing you up. You know, we, we do we have him here. Fine. We, we could pin you down right the fuck right now. All oh, right. Yeah. That's been another episode of Voice Business <laughs> Podcast. We will talk to you next time. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll hey, talk to you. I, I have a license. We'll travel to Nerdette. <laughs> <laughs> Voice Business at Podbean.com. Good night. Hey everyone, this is Stevie Richards. When I'm not doing Stevie Richards Fitness, well, actually, when I am doing Stevie Richards Fitness Resistance Band Training Programs, I like to listen to my friends on the Voices of Misery podcast. They talk about literally everything and anything, some stuff that might offend you. So if you're not easily offended, don't subscribe because they say whatever is on their minds is actually, actually subscribe, subscribe. Anyway, you might learn something and check them out anywhere. You can download and listen to your favorite podcast. And of course, check them out at voices of misery dot